Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, KZ. Uh, just to let you guys know that um, it, uh, the sound quality for me is probably going to be shitty because uh, my my Skype phone or my, my voice over IP phone is not working. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to be doing this on my cell phone, so I might be jumping in and out. Uh, first off, let's plug the sponsors, WrestleWarehouse.com, uh, Lucha Masks, T-shirts, DVDs, uh, pretty much anything you can get. Uh, you need, you can get there. And also, I'd like to throw props out to my other sponsor, Alfredo Esparza, uh, SlamBamJam.com, current Lucha, current Japanese, uh, the classic Lucha that he's got really good stuff, uh, classic Japan, some best ofs and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, that's that's uh, SlamBamJam.com. I'd like to welcome to the show the dynamic duo, or the ambiguously straight duo, as I like to say. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Dan Farron, Dan, Mr. Dan Farron, and the cancer-free Kurt Brown. What's up, girls? Hey, baby doll, what's going on? I'll let you go oh, first. You said you said it's always beauty before age, so go ahead, Kurt. Oh, bless you. Well, first thing, you guys might have heard this news already, but I heard the most exciting news. In case you haven't heard, I know both of you are going to be really excited about this. Yes. Now. Dan and KZ, I know that the both of, both of you are huge Jane Austen fans, and each of you belong to several of her book clubs. <laughs> Have you heard about the new version of Pride and Prejudice that will be hitting the big screen? Oh, is this, is this no. the zombie one? Yes. Yes, I have heard about that. That's the yeah. only thing ever missing from Pride and Prejudice, is they are making Pride and Prejudice 85% straight by the book, but the one thing that has always been missing is zombies. Sure, you know, we don't have enough zombies in the world. That's the problem. We don't have them in that's Jane Austen true. novels, and that's the most important thing. Well, actually, I have heard that. The title of it, actually, honest to God, not joking, is Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Oh, man. Now, KZ, <laughs> is that the greatest news you've heard or what? Um, no, this is Scott Siegel, the actor who played the guy... Who sold Mickey Rourke's steroids and the wrestler was arrested yesterday God. on Gold Figure <laughs> and real drug charges. <laughs> Jesus. I was shocked when I heard he was taking steroids. <laughs> I just sat there and just saying, he's a bona fide thespian and he's shooting the juice. My God. Whatever is this actor. world coming to? He's a method actor. He wanted to get into his, his role and he decided that he was going to, you know, to do this. So God, I, give him, I give him props for. No, I give him props for being, uh, you know, for for being, you know, for not kayfabing and staying straight, and, you know, just in, in playing the part all the way through. 
he he's going through that uh, Stanislavski phase. Yeah, wouldn't it be funny if before the Oscars on Sunday they made Mickey Rourke pee in a bottle? Just to make sure that you have to do a little steroid test before the Oscars, you know? That sounds like the title of a song, Mickey Rourke pee in a bottle. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my lord. I could get it to studio time if if you write the song, Kurt. I could get it to studio time. There we go. Oh, my gosh. Well, okay, I'm going to have to finally attempt... As I sit my tea here, I'm going to have to try to, and as we talk, I'm going to have to try to scribble down some lyrics. Uh, I don't know. When pouring hot water upon tea leaves, listen to the radioisotopic feline purr. Feel her comfort you. Know that there will be more astral planes to swing the entire universe toward nirvana, where all is groovy, where we all live together as one big happy family. This is entirely true. I have learned this through meditation. See, this is why I hang out with this guy, because next to him, I always look like I'm smart. Uh, like a what? A uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Oh boy! Uh, I, I I'm at a loss. Um, Mr. Farron, you can take the show. I'm okay. Gonna... Welcome to Rubber Guard Radio. That's. <laughs> uh, Dan taking the show, and he's usually trying to take me, and I'm usually trying to take Danny Wolf and Dan Farron's wife. Well, let me ask. Uh, let me ask Kurt Brown a question then. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kurt, uh, who was the worst guy you ever did a job for when you were working? You. Ah. <laughs> uh, that's true. But besides, you might have seen it live before we actually knew each other. Is that the famous uh, the match from Reseda? In Reseda, where I wrestled handsome Harry Hell. Yes. Who was perhaps the worst <laughs> worker I ever locked up with. He, that was when, up, he occasionally pops up on those AWA shows, if you still watch him. Though it's usually, sometimes it's under Harry Hell, and sometimes it's under his real name, Harry Zane, Z-A-N-E. Yes, that's right. That, uh, he, at that time, oh, Lord, we broke into the business at the same time. Uh, what an honor that was. Uh, Pistol Pete was, was convinced this guy was going to be a big star. And oh, the other one was Carl Lauer, president of uh, Cauliflower Alley, right. who was one of the SoCal promoters back then. Oh, oh, oh hold on, hold on. Let me cut Carl. you off. Speaking of the last name Lauer, uh-huh. who's going to get another night in China? <laughs> Bruno Lauer. <That's... laughs> oh, ouch! <laughs> ouch! Oh. That would hurt worse than seeing an Ed Powers video. <laughs> oh, come on, what you want to? What did you want to see downtown Bruno in China? That would be interesting. Oh my tea downtown tastes bitter Bruno in Chinatown. It's the only guy who's thinner than X Pac anyway, so. <laughs> and probably hairier too. Yeah, exactly. Oh so. my god, have you guys heard who's in it with her? No, I haven't. I have no idea. I have no idea I, either. I, well. Let's see, hmm. who's, been let, who's been let go recently? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the funny thing about it is, if you look at, at the way China's behavior has been, it almost scares me who it might be. That's because true. It, really and really, it, could be, it could be any C-level, you know, it could be guys that aren't even good enough to get on Dancing with the Stars or Celebrity Rehab. For or maybe extremely uh, masochistic people. I'm maybe thinking somebody, it's Billy Gunn, but... <laughs> I think it's somebody from Hulk Hogan yeah, celebrity wrestling. Maybe Danny Bonaducci, somebody like that. Oh Lord! Hmm. I, I can, I can tell you this much: it's not Todd Bridges who will be working out here on the twenty eighth for Fox City Wrestling. 
You can hit that at FogCityWrestling.com. Out here in San Francisco, Todd Bridges will be making his independent wrestling debut. I'm not surprised. I, I figured he would. Excellent. Fog City. Hey, Kurt, that maybe you out for him. Now, I was saying, Carl Lauer, love Carl Lauer. He's a nice guy, but back then he was also saying, yeah, Handsome Harry was uh, what we used to call an arena rat, meaning he was a fan who hung around the arena. Obviously, Carl did not know the definition. He said, but now we're dyeing his hair pink and yellow and green and making him our punk rock wrestler, and he's going to be in the big time pretty soon. Oh, and if you oh. saw this guy, you know, do as much as take a three-quarter roller or bump or lock up, you're yeah. like, oh, dear. <laughs> and it, it was always funny because when he was doing the punk rock thing, and they always said he was, you know, he and his partner were going to move to, to your neighborhood and build a bomb shelter and live there. But the funny <laughs> thing about uh, Harry was whenever anybody would hit Harry because he didn't really dye his hair, he just put powder in the hair to make it, you know, to make it look pink. or And it would or, get or in my mouth when I wrestled him. Yeah, it would actually wind up, he'd, you know, he'd get his head slammed down and it would send up like a nuclear cloud of pink or whatever <laughs> off his head. And, and every time he took a, you know, he took a bump, it, would, and it was hard to take it seriously. Yes, it was. And, and oh, Lord, he, and he was, you know, I felt bad because he was a friendly guy. He was a very yeah, friendly guy, very but nice boy. Guy. <laughs> well, the, my favorite story about Harry was Harry used to always somehow get these women to, um, to be his valets. And they, he used to drive them crazy. And one time he pulled into a 7-Eleven, and uh, the, uh, the valet he was with at that time said, I need to, to get some, you know, get some uh, gum or something. I'll be right back. And he sat and he sat and he sat. And what happened was the girl went out the back door and he never saw her again. Oh, I never heard that story. You never heard that story? Yeah, that's a great story. The funniest Harry story <laughs> I can think of was at the wind taping in San Bernardino. Mm-hmm. When he was a manager, he was managing you know, the mercenaries, uh, Billy Anderson, <clears throat> Louis Piccoli, and Ricky Itaki. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a you know six man tag, and the finish was Harry was supposed to you know interfere for them to get the pin. Well, right when Harry tries to interfere, some guy who a fan dressed up as Freddy Krueger, including the Freddy Krueger hands, I remember that. gloves on his hands, attacked Harry, grabbed him, and another lady with a water bottle starts hitting Harry over the head with it, and they prevented him from doing the finish. <laughs> was this in Memphis? No, this was in San Bernardino. And it they, made had, they had a Freddy Krueger in Memphis, but this was just a fan. No, this was a fan. Yeah, this was just a fan dressed up as Freddy Krueger who actually prevented uh, Harry from uh, fulfilling uh, his role in the match. And I remember because it aired on TV, and that was when I was an assistant teacher at a school uh, that you know took care of dysfunctional kids. And so we're always telling these kids what's appropriate, what's inappropriate. And one of the kids at school said, Mr. Brown, I saw you in the front row uh, laughing uh, at that fan who attacked the manager. Isn't that an inappropriate thing to be laughing at? And I had to explain to him that Handsome Harry is an exception to life's uh, so Well, actually, being in the front row of a wrestling match is actually inappropriate also. But, uh, yeah, that's true. If you sit down in the front row, I don't know, Casey, do you ever – I know you know a lot of the guys. Do you ever sit in the front row when you go to see a show? No, I try not to. You don't want to anyway, but here's the worst thing. is If you sit in the front row, they see you, and they want to take a bump off you. Really, yeah, they really want to rib you all night long. <laughs> yeah, and I was one time, Johnny Legend and I went to a show, and we got there a little late, and they made us sit in the front row. And it was the middle of a Mondo Guerrero match, and <laughs> um, uh, Mondo took a bump outside the ring and just flew back and just slammed into Johnny. And, uh, hey, can I curse on the show? Sure. 
Okay. Uh, he hit. He ran. He ran into, slammed into Johnny. Leaned over, whispered in his ear, and said, "Fuck you, Johnny," and got back in the ring. So that's why you never want to sit in the front row. Exactly. Um, I remember walking back to the front row, my front row seat, when I was like 19 years old, uh, when Maya Villa was wrestling uh, Bad News uh, Brown, and uh, I got Bad News Brown thrown right on me outside of the ring. <laughs> Knocked me down, and God bless Pete Collins, the late great manager, uh, actually sent somebody over to make sure I was okay. <laughs> hey, KZ, what did you think of this uh, Chris Jericho thing up in Canada? Have we lost KZ? KZ, are you there? Well, I guess it's now our show, Kurt. So what um, did you think of the Chris Jericho incident in Canada, Dan? Well, you know, it made me think a lot about um, about uh, things that uh, that used to happen that way. You know, it's very rare these days that with, you know, kind of the open knowledge that, that wrestling is the way it is, um, that people really go after, you know, uh, wrestlers anymore. Now, Lucha fans can do it sometimes because – Oftentimes they'll tweak nationality and whatever, and, and the Americans or the, the people from overseas will come in and, and come in as, as rudos. But most of the time nowadays, there's not a big deal. And, you know, I just have to wonder, you know, what kind of morons, you know, actually chase after a wrestler uh, and, uh, and basically, um, and, and, and basically you know, sit there and think that he's not going to act. Well, yeah, well, also, am, am I overly sober, or I, I looked at three different videotapes on YouTube, and it seems like much ado about nothing. It yeah, it is. It seems really. like he had no, almost no choice but to start shoving these people just to well, get out of there. he had to, because the fact is, if he just tried to get in the car and to drive away or whatever, uh, basically they would have been all over him. And also, let's face it, there is a little bit of, even someone like Chris Jericho who's pretty normal, there is... Um, there is that little bit of ego that says, you know, I can't walk away and have some Canadian trailer park trash person, you know, get <laughs> the last word on me, and then uh, and then go ahead and and just go off and you know and and drive away. Uh, and I think basically also looking at it, Jericho was more annoyed by uh, security. And let's face it, security at wrestling shows in general is pretty bad. Always has been. I think maybe only the ECW guys, uh, the the black turtleneck guys, for any. Well, in that. fact, in fact, remember security did nothing when that one fan wanted to fight me in Fullerton. Yeah, and Actually, we were about to come to blows, and you were the one who came in and yelled at him and made him sit down. That was all yeah. you rocked that night. You well, totally what, rocked. Well, well, I always felt when I was refereeing, one of the things that was my job was that. You know, I'm a pretty easygoing guy, but if if you're coming through the ring, you know, through those ropes uh, at somebody, I have no idea if you know you're coming after them or me, or if I'm just going to get in the way or what the deal is. And to me, always part of the deal I was taught when you become a ref was that you know you do whatever you have to do to protect the boys. And um, you know, I don't want somebody coming through the ropes because I, you know, and I had that happen one time. I don't know if you remember the show, but. We had somebody start to come through the ropes, and I was refing, and I actually, you know, like flew against the ropes to knock them out again. And uh, sometimes you can do it just by yelling or, or screaming at them, and the ref doesn't have to do it all that often. But, you know, every once in a while, you know, the, the security guys are so scared of laying a hand on somebody that someone's going to sue them or whatever that mm -hmm. you have to kind of take matters into your own hands. And I well, remember that's what Olympics. I remembered because that fan was right out telling me I want I you know I want to kick yeah. your ass I want to well, fight. You and may I, remember. You and may what remember am I going to do? Back down when and just stand there and 
Uh, you came just in time, and I never knew you had that you know brazenness in you. But I was looking around, and I saw the security guards, and they were just sitting there staring, just like. Oh yeah, oh, I, I, I I would love to have that video still again because uh, that that evening broke me up because I just cussed him out up and down. Oh and man, I was, you I, I've never and I was laughing because I couldn't believe he was actually listening to me. Uh, uh, yeah, he but, sat right back down. Yeah, and 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 that's not and that's happened on occasion. You remember we were doing some shows in Simi Valley, and. Uh, another, uh, I think somebody invited some guy into the ring, and it uh, may have been you again, knowing you, you big troublemaker. But uh, yeah, well, after after you did yell at that guy, I did tell him afterwards that I fucked his mother. Yeah. <laughs> How was I to know she died the week before? Oh God. Well, it was terrible. I, then I had to I think appreciate of really... you being on the show with me. You make me look then really I, good. I really. And then it was really bad because then I had to think of a really sick necrophilia uh, joke on the dot. I couldn't think of anything and. Right. Is KZ back? Actually, I'm just kidding. I did tell the kid I fucked his mother, but I did not. Uh, she did not indeed die the week before. KZ, are you around at all? Is it? Yeah, I'm. I'm just sitting here soaking this up. He's oh, okay. I thought we thought you lost it for a second, actually. But, and I interrupted uh, you when you were talking about Simi Valley, Dan. What What was that? Oh, I said no. The the guy got up. I was I was commissioner of of the group, and the guy got you know the guy the wrestler said get in the ring, and the guy got up on the apron. And I went over and yelled at him, and he didn't get down. So I grabbed him by the leg and pulled him down and had him thrown out of the building. That, and I remember the guy cool. said to me, he says, he told me to get in the ring. And, and I said, do you do everything somebody tells you to do? Get the hell out of here. <laughs> was that the you one know? during Craze's match? That was Craze's match, Rob. Yes. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just always so – I know the Olympic once in a while would actually have – if they had a, a worker in town or a guy who was training, uh, to have them actually rush the ring – and I remember they did this with the Hollywood Blondes, uh, Jerry Brown and Buddy Rock. I remember that with Choi Sun. They had a guy rush the ring, and what they did was they had Choi Sun, the Korean assassin at that point, and he gave the guy a karate chop, and the guy bladed, and they threw him out of the ring, and that was supposed to try to keep people from running into the ring. Because if you look back at the old days of the, of the Olympic in the 60s and the, in the early 70s before it, it got pretty docile, um, you know, if you read old newsletters and stuff, it'll say, and then Ernie Ladd hit John Tolos and a riot broke out. Then Freddie Blassie <laughs> got hit by John Tolos and a, and a riot broke out. And, and that happened quite a bit. And when you actually see uh, an actual riot break out, uh, I think uh, automatically of the uh, the hair versus hair cage match in Memphis between Austin Idol and uh, Jerry Lawler, uh, where those guys were lucky to to get away. And um, I remember hearing Jim Cornette tell stories about uh, when he was working uh, in the uh, in uh, Mid South. Uh, one time, uh, he'd even they'd even lost a match where he had to wear a dress, and he thought that would be enough to calm him down. But as they were going <laughs> back to the dressing room. Uh, they had security on each side, and people kept sticking their feet out and tripping the security. So one by one, they started to fall, and the last security guy looked at, at Cornette and said, run. And Cornette <laughs> took off running, and he ran right toward uh, Bill Watts' car. And Jim Ross was standing in the front saying, no, stay away from this car, stay away from the car. And he said, the hell with you, and he went into the car, slammed the door, and right as he slammed the door, Cornette heard, like, bottles and rocks and everything in the world hit the car right after that. You know? I, so, I, I mean, those, these are days we don't remember. I mean, people, especially these days, so it's very rare when we're a fan. Of I remember football. two riots that I was at present, and both of them were in Hadco Plaza in downtown L.A. And for yeah, listeners who don't, who don't know about Hadco Plaza, 
It was a, an independent Lucha Libre promotion that ran from uh, the mid-70s through the mid-80s. Uh, and they would draw like about 300 people. It was a dance hall. Um, but twice, the exact same thing happened. The heels won the match, and people started throwing all sorts of shit at them. You know, once even they were even throwing lit cigarettes. And uh, I remember when it was uh, Dr. Muerte and Ascharo who were parading around the ring after winning. And one fan takes a swing at Muerte and misses him by a like like an inch. And Muerte just like just cold cocked the guy, and about a dozen people instantly dumped jumped on Muerte, and then every wrestler, both on the heel and the face side, ran out and broke everything up, and you know took a few liberties on some of the more rowdy fans. But they ran out so readily, you could tell they were ready for that type of thing. Yeah. The funniest thing was the second time uh, I saw a riot at Hadco Plaza. I was in the front row sitting right next to Dr. Jerry Graham. And so fans are all fighting the wrestlers, wrestlers fighting the fans. And Jerry gets this big grin on his face and says, oh, this is beautiful. And he stands up, pulls out his wallet, and yeah. pulls out a blade. And I he looks that. at me and says, Kurt, come here. Time to you do your first gig job. And I ran like hell because I've heard of uh, people like Doc and Abdul the Butcher blading other people and uh, what the result was. I'm For that matter, the doc- I saw the Doc blade himself, and I'd see the result. I'm surprised the Doc didn't actually go through the crowd and just blade uh, various uh, uh, members of the audience. I'm, I, it wouldn't have shocked me if he did it. <laughs> you remember how hot the AAA shows were, the crowds were at the sports arena in, uh, in the early 90s? Oh, yeah, I remember the night Eddie Guerrero and Art Barr were coming, coming back into the dressing room trying to rub the nacho cheese and the jalapenos out of their well, eyes that people I remember they, some of those early shows where they had cage matches with you know, Conan against Jake Roberts and DDP that they, they had oversold the, the, the building. And they had, you know, all the seats were filled, and there were people literally standing you know, up in the lobby and the stairwells or whatever. And when they were going back to the dressing room, I have never seen stuff be thrown. I mean, I, we saw chairs, we saw loaded diapers, we yeah, saw that would be uh, like like you've never seen before. That yeah, was we beautiful. see that. Yeah, we, 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 I'm sick and goddamn tired of this bullshit. <laughs> that's right, oh, Daddy O. That's right. That's why. That's what Coronet says in that situation. But <laughs> I remember people were, people were peeing in cups and throwing it. And, yeah. And, and God. Jake Roberts and DDP, we, we saw them afterwards, were like yelling at Ron Scholar, saying, you know, you go out there tomorrow with us. You go out there. And if you remember, we went down to San Diego the next day. And, uh, again, here's another security situation. Uh, see, I also don't understand why, you know, in a lot of those places, you can just pull the car into the arena. It doesn't make sense <laughs> to park a car way out in the parking lot and have to walk. I guess some people have an odd sense of adventure. Yeah, exactly. But I remember that down, what they did, were doing there was Conan turned to me at one point and said, can you talk to the security? Because they're, they don't know what to do, and I need to get Jake Roberts to, to his, you know, out to the, the vehicle to get him out of here. And you know, I basically you know, told the security guys to form a wedge around him, and that's the only way you could do it because if you leave any holes open – somebody's going to come through. And, I mean, it's just common sense. But the trouble is those guys aren't used to They do basketball. They do, you know, uh, you know they do all the other hockey and all that other stuff in there. They never have to go after somebody. 
um, which is what used to happen in wrestling. And you look at those old Southern brawls down there, you know. Well, um, besides, besides, you think they would have learned in the, in the 60s that security guards ain't worth shit. I mean, you think you would have learned from Bobby Kennedy's assassination, don't have security guards, uh, you know, hang with the pre- you know, potential president, you know? Yeah, exactly. people, shut up! Kaya me me boca! All right, I'm cutting, I'm, I'm cutting you guys off. I'm the host, damn it. This is my show. Right okay. on. <laughs> well, I, I was listening the other day to a Michael Modest Lounge on whoslammingwho.podcast.com. Mm-hmm. Cheap plug yeah. Tommy. And uh, he brought up the ISW days with Ron Head and J.R. Benson. <laughs> uh, oh, they were great. I, I'm going to start with you, Kurt. I need one good J.R. Benson story. J.R. Benson... Uh, oh, he. <laughs> one of the one of the first things that comes to mind is when uh, Dan and Larry were promoting the Calendar International show in West Hollywood. That was the one where Sabu uh, wrestled Ultraman. Mm-hmm. And you know, Jr. for all his talk of you know drug use and that sort of thing, always seemed very balanced. You know, you never you never look at this guy and think this guy's fucking insane. You know, he he was always able to maintain very well. And it was a community center, and they were very stern with us about no alcohol in the premises and that sort of crap. And J.R. walks walks in, and he's walking by me. I just could smell the burning bush. And I I just took a a big sniff and says, Mmm, what is that beautiful uh, herbal (laughs) blossom there? And he just broke out in this grin and and actually looked embarrassed, like, oh my god, I didn't realize that I like like I was wearing it. <laughs> and uh, you know, they are the ones. The... Sick and goddamn tired of this bullshit. I'm tired of it too. Kaya made me bokra ultra vest. He just he just back as knowing Bill Watts. Bill Watts probably made him pay for the car. <laughs> That's why it's bad. Actually, you 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 can get the whole story on that rvideo.com. You can get the Jim Cornette shoot interview. I don't remember if it's on the first or second one. You know, there's story. there's no such thing as a bad Jim Cornette shoot interview. Never. Exactly. Never. There or a bad Jim Cornette interview, period. You know, Jim Jim Cornette could basically sit and, and interview, like, Amy Weber, somebody who was a diva for, like, three weeks, and he would still get a good solid two hours out of it. He always finds mm-hmm. a way. Easily. Now, now, uh, now Corny is doing a weekly a weekly segment on uh, the Who's Slamming Who podcast. Yeah, I, and, I, I oh. think, and I, and I have to get back and start listening to some of those. I, I was very lucky to meet Cornette uh, around the time I was doing the, the – I used to appear on the Dynamite D radio show. And um, what I did was he, I had a, a mutual friend, and I called him, and he was just as nice as can be and said, uh, yeah, I'll come on Dynamite D show. And we did a two-hour show, and it was really funny, Casey, after I was on the show last time. Uh, I got an email from a guy who used to listen uh, to those shows back like 12, 15 years ago or whatever. And uh, he talked about that night. And he, says, uh, he said he still had a copy of that shoot, uh, that interview, because it was really, really good. And, uh, you know, it was Cornette is, is just a, a guy who knows so much. And, yeah, he's got an explosive temper. And, yeah, he's old school. But, you know, the fact that he's not really being utilized uh, as much as he should be. It's really a shame. Because well, and you know what's funny? With all the talk I've always heard about Jim Cornette, I hear very few people talk about his debut as a manager in Memphis mm-hmm. back in 82. And I thought that was such a brilliant debut, how they brought him in initially as just this kind of 
you know, mild-mannered kid who wants to manage a wrestler, and week by week he grows more frustrated with, you know, being unable to procure the talents of Jerry Lawler and Bill Dundee. That was such a brilliant debut. Oh, it, the guy, the guy is is a, a heat-seeking missile. There's not, there's no way you he, you can bring him into any group, and in 15 minutes he'll be your number one face or your number one heel. Easily. And now, that, now you know, that that. that that interview that, that Cornette did on Dynamite D's show, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if he's done multiple ones, then this isn't it, but I do have it. I do have one in MP3. No, he only did one for Dynamite D. Okay, I got it then in, M- oh, in MP3. That was, I would love to hear it. If you, if I, I don't have that. I don't have it, and I remember it was a solid two hours. I mean, it was really – he was – and if, in the beginning, he said, well, I'm, I have a little bit of stomach problem, and I thought, well – you know, this show's 9 o'clock on the West Coast. You know, where he was, it was like 11 o'clock. But he stayed for the entire two hours. And um, and it, it really, again, uh, you know, you just wind up Jim Cornette let him go. That's yeah, it. Exactly. And when I've talked to him a couple times over the, the years or whatever, uh, you know, I, I just think that there's so much you can learn from the guy. And, you know, yeah, he may have a temper and he may, may you know, get real, you know, fly off the cuff. But uh, there's few people around. That that understand the business how it should be run than mm-hmm. than Jim Cornette. Well, what, what really pains me, what really pains me is that he's in that TNA locker room. Yeah, exactly. They, you know, <laughs> Jesus. I know that's all, almost some sort of like nightmare that John Sarker would have you know, written about on. Well, you know, I, I'll tell you, I, I imagine it probably pains Cornette just as much, if not more, <laughs> to be in that room. And sit there. I could, I could, you know, I could hear him on the way home, probably every every show. Ah, damn it! What's going on in there? I don't understand a single thing. You know. Uh, now, KZ, you were saying Michael Modest was talking about ISW and JR. Did he ever yeah. tell you about the great uh, finish to JR's matches where uh, Mistress Brenda would pee on him? He he didn't talk about that, but he talked about when she hit the guy with the VCR diving off of the apron and shattering her ankle. Ooh, I wasn't there have for you, that. Um, I'm glad I wasn't. Oh, zombie! Have you have you ever seen uh, the 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 famous Golden Showers shows they did? It's disgusting. Yes, it is. It really is. And that's why you going back to Jr. for a second. You know, I didn't know a lot about Jr. Uh, when we first had him. You know, he called and said, "I want to come down and do the show." And I said, "Sure." You know, I had met Ron before, and let's come on down. And then I started doing some research on it, and I got a little bit nervous, you know, <laughs> uh, because, again, we were in a place when we were doing this show that was, you know, a, a boys and girls club. They were they were bringing in these kids in wheelchairs and stuff, and I'm thinking, you know, if, if he goes nuts or whatever. But what I did was I figured, you know, that the perfect matchup for him would be, you know, to, you know I, I bring him out, let him manage somebody, and then... I let him do a little verbal sparring with Johnny Legend. And that went well, except getting Johnny Legend and getting J.R. Benson to stop talking <laughs> is probably about as difficult as it is getting in the question between Kurt and I, to some extent. Uh, because they went on, and you can actually, it looks wonderful on the video. I come out, and I'm and I, like, break this thing up. And I came out for one reason. That was, you know, get the hell out of here. You're holding up a magic. <laughs> for God's sake, you'll go on for hours if you let them go. They were both vaccinated with a phonograph needle, for God's sake. And I remember briefly meeting Jr. that day, but the first night I really met him and, you know, talked with him was on the first ISW show I was on up in San Francisco. 
And it was great. He just came up to me very, very politely and, and asked me if I would do a gimmick. Uh, I, I think it was both he and Ron Head. And I'm sure, what's that? And I said, the abortionist. And he had this oh, great really. costume with the mask and, you know, with this, you know, blood-stained smock and a wire coat hanger. And it was the, some of the easiest heat I ever got. <laughs> you know, it's always funny. I was honored that they picked me, hey, actually. Guys, you talk to guys, people. We, hmm? Go we, ahead. We have a caller on the line, Skype caller. Who am I speaking with? Hey, it's Matt Bishop. Hi, <laughs> Matt Bishop, how are you? How are you, Matt? What's up, You're guys? an hour early, Matt. You said 10.30. You mean you you are not central time? No, I am eastern time. Oh, Oh, you're up past your bedtime, young man. (laughs) Oh, give me a break. Come on. (laughs) Oh, come on. Early to bed, early to rise, however that goes. Give me a call back in an hour, and we'll we'll, uh, we'll talk (laughs) UFC. Fine. (laughs) See you then. Should be a good one. We I all know at the next UFC, Mil Moskers is going to do the run-in, and George St. Pierre is going to run like hell. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, I, I assume... You may want to keep us around because he may not be available in an hour. <laughs> you, know, you know, the, the thing is, though, if uh, Mil Moskers would do that, I, I don't think that he would be the one doing the job, so... He wouldn't. He wouldn't. Well, I even wrote my my uh, blog that Judo G. LaBelle is going to run in there with his tomato red suit and tell St. Pierre... Next UFC, you are in to fight the Superman of wrestling, Mil Mascaras. Kurt, do and... you ever remember Mil Mascaras ever doing? I mean, I know he did some early jobs when he had the America's title and stuff. When but... I first started watching wrestling, when I was ten years old, I actually they actually televised the Texas Death Match that he jobbed to Ernie Ladd in. Wow. Yeah, and he jobbed mm. clean. Um, wow. Of course, this was 1972, when because he I think he jobbed to Tolis just the year before. Yeah, and around that time, then about after that, I can't ever ever remember ever seeing him. You know, I um, even remember uh, hearing Tolis. I think Tolis was telling Billy Anderson um, that Moscaris jobbed him one night, and before the match, Moscaris was complaining about it, and he finally caved and said, "Okay, oh, I'll put Tolis over." And then he just went up to Tolis and stared at him and said, "Where I come from, I am the prima donna." <laughs> <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, good old Mill, I tell you. Now, now tell me, tell me, Kurt. Do you think a guy like Mascaris could be a star today, with that ego and? That's such a that's such a hard one to nail because he was so unique at the time, mm-hmm. and. I don't know yeah. what would really be unique about him if he just popped up in this day and age. Yeah, if, if I could jump in there, I, I'll go even farther. I say no, he wouldn't have been a star. Because, first of all, uh, you know, he may have the ego of a lot of the boys now, but he was not. He would not be in any kind of place where he could actually, you know, you know, enforce that. I think the biggest problem, as, as Kurt was saying, was that, you know, when he first came along, uh, he had two things going for him. He had one the fact that a lot, a lot of people had seen Lucha Libre, and two, Bill After thought he was the greatest thing since sliced bread. Yes. And if it wasn't for those two things, I don't even know how much he would have eventually gotten over, because also if you look at his style, even uh, when he was more mobile when he was younger, um, I think that tippy-toe thing he did when he would run, when he runs around the ring or whatever would By the way, that tippy-toe thing, thing, I don't know if people know this, but that tippy-toe thing he does, yeah. that's something autistic children do. 
Yeah, Seriously. I mean, <laughs> they do. I mean, that's that's something that you know. That's something now that people would laugh at. And if you think about, you know, what does what could Mill really do? I mean, I you saw him do. He did uh, drop kicks. He did a flying headbutt, and he would grab a guy in a headlock and punch him several times. And that's about all I remember from him. Um, and of course, the flying body he was, press. He was. Well, yeah, sometimes, I mean, sometimes I always he was, thought he was really pretty much overrated. I hate to say that. Well, I always thought so. Level, but you know, if if he, I one person I loved watching him work with was uh, Tony Rocco because they would actually do some fun hold for hold. You know, hold for hold stuff that most people didn't, you know, just didn't do with him. Then again, if you wrestled Moskowitz, you usually had to wrestle his kind of mat. Yeah. Well, if you didn't, I mean, uh, I don't know if you saw that match at one time where he teamed up with a local guy against Tejano and Silver King. And Tejano and Silver King could straight oh, face the entire match. They yeah. laughed through the entire match. And when they would bump for him, they would bump really big. You know, to make it to make it look like it was a joke, and and they and they virtually stood outside the ring and laughed at him. <laughs> yeah, in fact, they were laughing. They were like uh, playing it up melodramatically. I think it was kind of yeah. payback for something. Uh, yeah. There, there's also a lot of funny stories you'll hear about Moskris at indie shows. If they see people wearing a Mill Moskris mask, he'll he'll try to get the promoter to confiscate the mask because he thinks it might be a bootleg. Um. Oh yeah, he'll come over and he'll come over. If somebody has like a, a masquerade doll, he'll come over and say, you know, he'll say, "Where did you get that? Give that to yeah. me. That is not, you know, exactly." Yeah. And you know, that doesn't lend itself to, uh, you know, to take a take a doll away from a screaming child does not really lend yeah. itself. Oh, to, and uh, about ten popular. years ago, there was an indie show. I, I can't remember. I think it was in like Chula Vista or something like that. And it was a show that drew, you know, had no publicity. So even with Moscars, it drew maybe a hundred people. And so he's tiptoeing to the ring, and he looks out into the audience, and he sees a little girl, probably no more than seven years old, and she's holding this big old camcorder back in the days when camcorders were a little bulkier. And he sees a little girl, and the sight of that cute little girl just compels him to tiptoe up to her, lean over and say, young lady, you are not authorized to videotape my image. You know, put the camera down or I'll have you removed. And that's a true story, by the way. And if you've seen oh, one Masquerade match, you've seen them all. So it's not really like it was anything, you know, you could Photoshop him into any, any match whatsoever. And you, you, know, you know what? I always thought Dos Caras, I loved watching Dos Caras work on the other hand. I agree. And even El Cicadelico in his earlier days. Oh, uh, he had the he coolest really, looking mask of all time. Yeah, exactly. Before he wound up getting like really squat and, and mm-hmm. really irritating people. But in his <laughs> earlier days, he was quite something, too. Who now? Who is it you saw Cicadelco job to in San Bernardino? Bengali. Bengali. That was a shocker. He job to Bengali in the first match. He had come in for a short uh, run, evidently, and for whatever reason, he he jobbed to Bengali in the first match, and I was quite surprised because Bengali at that point, uh, you know, couldn't beat the chicken lady or the popcorn guy, <laughs> and to have him, you know, pin Cicadelico clean and. All it basically was was Cicadelico went up for a, a drop kick and Ben Colley swatted him down and pinned him. Back in the days when a missed drop kick could be a finish. Yeah, or the abdominal stretch go. or a karate yeah. chop to the throat, you know. Yeah, the karate chop to the throat, I missed that. Yeah. The dreaded judo chop. Now, yes. speaking of uh, Mill Mascaris, I, I listened yesterday to the R video Ivan Koloff shoot interview that was just put out. And... You know, he was talking about New York, you know, in the 70s where 
where there was, you know, there was Mascaris, there was Dusty, there was Andre, all these big people coming into MSG, and then right. Mascaris left to the Eddie Ihorn's IWA, and yep. he, he recruited Koloff, and Koloff admitted that was a huge mistake. Um, now, do you think that Mascaris will ever? Drop the IWA World Heavyweight Title, or will he be buried with it? <laughs> no, he. I don't think anybody knows he still has it outside of a handful of hardcore fans. I would say he sleeps with the belt, but probably in his words, the belt sleeps with me because I am so sexy. You know, you have to you have to look at this thing and try to figure out when Eddie Highhorn was first making that move. Uh, who was it that sat him down and said, "Okay, here's the guy that should be your world champion, Mil Mascaris," because of all the people they had. <laughs> <laughs> All the people they had. I mean, what you're going to. I mean, I can understand internationally, but you're going to. You know, you're going to make a move across the country, across the U.S., and use a mask guy who did not speak very good English at that time. It was the same uh, person who told Dan, told NWA to put the strap on Dan Severn. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was that same kind of thing. And um, you know, I, I, oh God, you know, I mean, but at that point, think about it. That's the only kind of place that Mascaris could could work because any other place, if you look at the at the at the way the territories were set up that time, like we know the old WWWF was a big man's territory, uh, you know the Crockets and a lot of the southern promotions were more tag team, um, and you know the only place that he could basically work was probably Los Angeles yeah. well, uh, or maybe Texas. 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 Well, I gotta, I do gotta give him credit. He made a career of it, and he yeah, never he did. And, bookings. And he and one shocker, one yeah, shocker and he, and he in, those movies, which didn't hurt him either. Yeah, and one shocker is in Jack Briscoe's autobiography. He said uh, he, he liked working with Mascaris. That was like having a night off. Which, <laughs> which, which either actually, means it was, it was <laughs> easy to work with, or he just didn't have to do anything. One of the two. So. Well, yeah, but you know, usually most people who write about Moscaris that do a long rant on, uh, well, pretty much the truth about him and his ego, but it was interesting to see Briscoe praise him and also put over Haystack Calhoun, which everybody else seems to uh, yeah. dump on, but Briscoe seemed to really like him. Actually, yeah. well, that's they, one of the most they, underrated they biographies, I thought. They, they were what they were. They were attractions. Yeah, yes. that's, well, that's yeah, the whole that's, idea. What worked best for Mill was to travel. You know, uh, they bring him in for a match or two here, a match or two there. You know, they send him down south and say, "Here's a sombrero, carry this to the ring." You know, <laughs> and you know he would come out and he would do a match, and everybody would go, "Ooh, ah, there's no Mascaris," and then he'd leave because you can't really do anything with him after that. He's yeah, not going to job. Yeah, and Andre the Giant. You know, you, can you see him jobbing for Tommy Rich? No. Just, but Tommy Rich is all fired up to pin that Mexican. Yeah. What I loved, what I loved about Los Angeles was not actually Moscaris wrestling, but the hype before Moscaris would come to wrestle. Because that's why I brought up the earlier judo gene references. I just remember when Kinect made his first LA appearance for LaBelle and squashed some jobber and is you know gloating in English. Kinect number one. And then Mike LaBelle walks into the ring, and Mike LaBelle takes off his glasses like Clark Kent and informs him that next week you will have to wrestle, as they always put it, the Superman of wrestling, Mil Moscaris. And Connect just stops and slaps his head and starts waving his hands, begging them to call off the match. And <laughs> I just love the hype they did for him in L.A. And then LaBelle added, and there's a good chance you won't be paid for it. Uh... Yes. Well, there, there's actually a pretty cool Moscaris story, is I guess – they tried to stiff him several times, and on one occasion, um, 
he actually, and this was before the era of ATMs, he actually made the promoter go in San Jose, go find the cash to get him before he would go on. Yeah, you know, most of the guys who who traveled that way were smart enough to do it, to do it that way, because, I mean, if you were going to, you know, some of those places with some of the promoters that have the reps that they did, uh, you weren't about to go in there and take a check from them or expect, uh, yeah. you know, or expect to have to be paid properly. Or, I mean, that's the one thing that I really started laughing at when I saw the wrestler because I loved it was in there. Was, uh, oh, gee, we didn't make enough this evening. I can only give you this amount. Yeah, <laughs> because I can't begin okay. to tell you how many times I've heard a promoter. Well, Dan, remember one of the the most interesting swerve I witnessed was. Remember that empty arena show that was promoted by Cesar Sando in Pomona? Yeah, I do. Where Atlantis and Pierre Roth was on it, but in the advertisements, they put the wrong date down. So (laughs) there's like 30 people there, paid attendance. Um, And obviously Cesar, who was also a main event heel here, uh, couldn't afford to pay just about anybody. And so he did the old take a bump out of the ring and pretend like you split your head open on uh, on the poster of a, a nearby door and pretend like you hit an artery. So he ran out back saying, oh, my God, I hit an artery. I must go to the hospital. And they yeah. drive off. And I think he managed to somehow pay Atlantis and Pierros, but nobody else that night got paid. Yeah, that's not unusual. That's yep. not unusual. You know, and that, that same artery busted for Cesar several times, though. So. <laughs> Easily. Uh, the most extreme one I ever heard, though, was uh, the late Ray Evans, who promoted a show and actually faked a suicide attempt to get out of paying people. And in fact, Meltzer wrote about that in the obituary he wrote for Evans, who I was actually an excellent worker, but a basket case before it was fashionable. Obviously, he wasn't that good of a worker. Did he get out of paying the guys? Oh yep, he did. <laughs> oh well, okay. No, he yeah, he he actually got uh, got an ambulance to come take him away. Jeez. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, if if a promoter could figure out how to do it, uh, they do it. I mean, the great classic book, whatever happened to Gorgeous George, that came out in the 1970s, written by Joe Jarrett, uh, has a great story about a promoter down south that would give a pony away, and oh, yeah. he would he would have people buy tickets for it, and he would advertise it and do it, and when they came to draw the winning number, I'll be damned. His son won. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, motor. <laughs> you know. Now, now, like, mm. now, as far as uh, Kanek and Mills Mascaris, all I've got to say is, All right. Now we'll get we'll, <laughs> we're going to get off the of lucha. Um, let's see. Is work going to appear at WrestleMania? What, what do you think there, Dan? Is work going to appear? Well, you know, this is this is interesting because when I first heard, doing the fact that I do like so I do work in the in film and television, and one of the things that when I first heard that work was going to appear was the thing that everybody talked about is, are you crazy? I mean, he's going to basically, and I still am not positive. He he may have really just screwed himself out of the Oscar really bad by even. Hinting at that because, like I said, if the if the you know the Academy thinks that you're going to get up and and you know accept an Oscar and then cut a promo, uh, they're they're not going to do that. But um, I you know it looks to me like 
it's really, really 50-50. You don't know. I mean, the fact is that it looks like they you know they've been using these other guys like Flair and 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 I I figure Lawler probably next week since they beat up Piper uh you know uh since they've been setting these guys up that what they're going to do is hopefully after the Oscars they'll you know bring they'll be able to bring Rourke in and and have him do this um but I think that if he doesn't and I kind of think he might make an appearance but I don't know if he's going well, to Well if wrestle. they can if they can uh, if he can, I mean, they set up they set up some stuff with with legends that they can do it. You know, well, I was thinking if they can acquire the star of the 2008 version of the wrestler, maybe they could acquire the star star of the 1974 Vern hit the wrestler, Vern Gagne doing a run in. Oh. oh, God no! Well, not with, not, not in this case, maybe a run all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. The, the the show has gotten too serious, guys. We're we're gonna take a few minute break. Yeah. Uh, I need to stick in uh, a little comedy here, and I need to grab a cup of coffee. So hang on okay. for a few minutes. Rock please. on. <laughs> I thought he was gonna shit. Oh, <laughs> Pete! Oh, you motherfuckers! Hey, I wish I was big just one. <laughs> we are big cops. <laughs> really funny. Really funny. Uh, <laughs> what do you mean I'm funny? <laughs> You mean the way I talk? What? Just, you know, you, it's, you're just funny. It's, you know, the way you tell the story and everything. Funny how? I mean, what's funny about it? Tommy, no, you got it all wrong. Eh? Oh, oh, Anthony. He's a big boy. He knows what he said. What'd you say? You're right. Funny how? Just, what? Just... You know, you're, you're funny. You mean, so? well, let me understand this, because, you know, maybe it's me, I'm a little fucked up, maybe. But I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. I make you laugh. I'm here to fucking amuse you. What do you mean funny? Funny how? How am I funny? I'm not just... You know how you tell a story? What? No, no, I don't know. You said it. How do I know? You said I'm funny. How the fuck am I funny? What the fuck is so funny about me? Tell me. Tell me what's funny. Get the fuck out of here, Tommy. <laughs> you motherfucker. I almost had him. I almost had him. <laughs> you stuttering prick yet? Frankie, was he shaking? <laughs> I wonder about you sometimes, Henry. You may fold under questioning. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, what the fuck is it with you? Hanging, I thought it was getting pissed over there. He's hanging on my fucking neck like a vulture, ah, like a pending day. What do you want? This guy's worried about. He didn't want to come over and get the check, you know. Wait could... <laughs> There you go, Joe. Well, Pesci. you know, some people think that's from Goodfellas, but actually, those are outtakes from when Vince McMahon testified uh, for that uh, that recent uh, Senate commission. That's what it's. <laughs> Um, <laughs> now, Goodfellas was an okay organized crime film, but what is the best organized crime film of all time? Mobsters. No, 1968, 1968's auto perimeter classic Skidoo, where Jackie Gleason is an ex-mobster in prison who accidentally ingests LSD and starts hallucinating and sees Groucho Marx's head spinning before him. Oh, jeez. If you Hello, haven't seen Netflix. it, it's a great – it's like one of the greatest movies ever made. Hmm. You've left him speechless. Everybody drops acid in, like Cesar Romero, uh, 
Uh, oh, and, and and Carol Channing's in it, which is always hot. Okay, maybe for you older folk. Uh, oh come on! Actually, you know you know you're you know into what? the guilt the guilt thing with Carol Channing. Couldn't she just see Carol Channing just like you know going deep on you? Yeah, look oh, at that mouth. Oh yeah, know. the lipstick up and down the pole. Oh man. Hey, Good going thing back, my wife's in the other room. Going back to your question earlier, Casey, what do you think that uh, Mickey Rourke will show up at WrestleMania? It doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter who they put on the show. No, I mean they're gonna, the show. They're going to draw. They're going to yeah. draw fifty thousand. It doesn't matter who they put. They could put it, fucking nobody on there. It doesn't. Yeah, and then that's why I think it's interesting that uh, that Austin dropped down to the, the the referee role that he did because I think mm-hmm. they realized that, and I think he realized that that he wasn't going to be ready in time, and why you know why leave uh, you know people with the last uh, you know the last vision of your last match or whatever being something that that uh, that makes people sad and then wish that uh, it could be better, you know. I mean, it's it's the brand. It's WrestleMania. Yeah, Everybody exactly. Everybody that can go to the show goes to the show. Or it's like the Royal Rumble. Order it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, guys, just... who, okay, who wrote this song? Have a cup of tea. Have a cup of tea. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Rosary. Charles Manson. It could be him. I'm still trying to find out. I think it's probably a I... Kurt Angle song, it sounds like. I think Kurt Angle wrote that. That would be pretty boss when he was doing. I, I, I mean, he rapped with John Cena pretty well. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was watching. I was watching a, a, a documentary on the History Channel yesterday about cult leaders, and they had Jim Jones on there. Oh, a classic! Manson, and they they showed a picture of Manson with his hair long with the beard. I was like, "Fuck, dude, that's Cactus Jack." And now I got. <laughs> well, yeah. now I got why they they called him Cactus, Cactus Jack, Jack Manson, Manson at the beginning yeah. of his career. And Nick was real happy about sure. that too. Oh yeah. <laughs> actually, I think, one one the, I think one of the great cult leaders of all time was Paul Heyman. Actually, but uh, that's just me. Well, yeah. Well, just, you know, who's the politician these days known as Jim Jones? Oh jeez, I, I don't. Know. I don't know. I, I, I'm, 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 bubble, I'm not so. as up on Congress or Senate members, but I keep seeing Jim Jones on TV. And I'm saying, dude, call yourself James or something. Nobody's gonna think Jim Jones without you know thinking about 900 something bodies. Now tell me, has there been you know like a manager or anything close, with the exception of Jim Mitchell in ECW, close to a Jim Jones type of character? And do you think it would work? Uh, yeah, there has been. In fact, actually, if you go back uh, to right after the Manson murders, which were oh, yes. in the 1970s, uh, Randy Savage's dad was still working at that point, and he and another guy were wrestling as a tag team. Uh, as the, the graduates, and they had a manager named Mark Manson who looked just like Charles Manson. And in fact, I remember that the after Megs had, you know, there's a new manager in town, and his name is dot 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 Manson, <laughs> like that. In fact, there's a hysterical clip on YouTube. I assume it's still there. When he was, I think he was working Bruiser's territory, and they show him cutting a promo with. Uh, I think the local promoter and Pepper Gomez there, and right in the middle of the interview, he just loses it and starts busting up, and so does the promoter. And there is Pepper Gomez just sitting there stone-faced in between the two of them. <laughs> I think also if you go back, and I didn't see this much of it, but I think to some extent, uh, before he was Colonel De Beers, Ed Wasowski was the Mega uh, Maharishi. Mega Maharishi, and yeah. I think it was based on that crazy Maharishi 
that was up in the in the Washington, Oregon area. Was so that Maharishi actually owned one of the towns at some point. Yeah. You know, by well, I think, actually, I think that's something that people haven't done that much. And uh, you know, actually, it, when they were doing it with the Undertaker, it worked to some extent. It scares people half to death, much like the Kevin Sullivan, you know. Um, you know, devil worshiping. You know, because that was some people, great shit. People always think. I mean, a lot of times people think that the wrestling fans are kind of you know dumber than they actually are. You know, and they think <laughs> that you know if they convince people, you know, I mean, I I can't ever remember hearing uh, someone who worships Satan with a heavy Boston accent. You know, <laughs> uh, I just you know, and I can't see anybody really thinking. You know that that there is somebody who's like that, but you know, I mean, but if you tell a good it. enough story, it doesn't matter how bad, you know, bad it is. I well, mean, yeah, how bad I mean, L.A. was, but you still had some diehards. You know, yeah. I I remember I, I think one of the most humbling moments was was there was some goofy fan of San Bernardino in the front row that we called Captain Jack, and um, what was it? I think it was Professor Ito was going to have a loser leave town uh, match with Tom Jones the next week. And, um, you know, that was when, we, you know, I was taught kayfabe always and, you know, you know, never let the marks know anything. And, and you know, you hear Captain Jack say, well, I guess Ito's leaving next week. And I'm like, oh, yeah, how do you know that? And goes, well, on TV said they said Ito's wrestling Chavo in a loser leave town match. Then he's lo- he's wrestling Mondo in Bakersfield in a loser leave town match. Then Hector in a loser leave town <laughs> match in Fresno. <laughs> And he goes, do the math, Einstein. And you would never guess it because this guy, you know, booed all the villains and cheered all the baby faces. But <laughs> deep inside, he knew what the story was, which was not hard to do with LaBelle, you know, some of those angles. Yeah, you know, I really wish they'd bring managers back. I think it's time to bring them back because so many of the guys, they're bringing them up so fast or they're coming in and they don't know what to do. You know, you. I mean, half half the heel divas could use a manager, someone, you know, <laughs> someone who could help get them over. And it, you know, I think a lot of that, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who would never have become the stars they were without the managers, especially with the tag teams. If you look at guys like J.C. Dykes and Wild Red Berry and and oh, yeah. uh, Homer Odell and those guys, you know, they manage guys who basically never said a word, and That's and the they basically could get them over. My favorite one on the mic was the Grand Wizard. I loved it. The Grand, Grand Wizard was excellent. Excellent. Uh, there was another great guy, Danny Jack Donovan, was really good. I like Homer Odell because Homer Odell was the guy down in Florida that when a riot broke out one time, he came running down the aisle and drew a gun and started firing it in the air. <laughs> I, heard, I heard that Jim Cornette's supposed to have some good Homer Odell stories. Yeah. I mean, I saw, I've seen a little bit. A lot of those guys, I you know, I started following wrestling in the early 70s, and, I, and you know, unfortunately, you didn't get a chance to see a lot of those guys. One of the things I've been eating up a lot now has been um, the, uh, the Memphis tapes, the Memphis memory oh, tapes yeah. that they've released. Those things are killer. Uh, there's, they're, just, they're really great, and it gives you a chance to see some of the guys you may never got a chance to see. And there's, I mean, on that one of the arena matches from the 1970s, uh, you got you know Lou Fez in a six man match, and you get to the see the original scaffold match. The original scaffold, there. you get to see the yeah. uh, the original Heavenly Bodies, which were the Greens, Don and Al Green, you know. Uh, and you get to remember that a lot of the stuff that we have now was was there a long, long time ago, and there's not a lot of things being done new. Thank you, Corey Macklin. 
That's all That's I right. have to say. <laughs> and, you know, and, and there, in a way, there's no reason that you can't repeat some of that stuff because, you know, they used to do it every three or four years. And here's the thing is, that works. That's tried and true. That stuff works. It works a heck of a lot better than bringing out the son of the promoter to rescue The Undertaker. Yeah, oh, when, when I there. saw Shane McMahon out there in that run-in with Orton, the first thing I thought of was all the stories that uh, all the you know old Memphis wrestlers and fans used to tell about George Goulas. Yeah. And oh, it God, just yes. motivated me to find some YouTube footage of George Goulas and put it uh, on my blog because you have to see that guy in action to realize how horrible he was. And I said, oh, my gosh, the Goulas uh, legacy lives on. Well, it, okay. it is true. If you look around through some of those stuff, I mean, you know, uh, Jeff Jarrett had to work long and hard to get away from that. And some people, like, you know, if you go into, not to get heavy, but if you go into the Von Erichs, you know, there were a couple of those guys who should never have been anywhere near the business. Oh, yeah. Wrestling. Yeah, you know? I, I have to agree. Now, you, you mentioned Tommy Rich. Um, I'm going to play a drop real quick, and, and we'll talk about it after. Okay. <laughs> Hold on, let me, I need to turn the volume up on it. It's pretty. <laughs> oh cool. my lord. Oh my lord. They were really close. They yeah. were really close <laughs> to bringing the Iron Cheek into ECW and making them the full blooded Iranians. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, that would have been hysterical. Oh, my Lord. I, that I, would have I, I been hysterical. I can't get enough. I can't get enough of, of, of uh, Tommy Rich impersonations. It's just, um, that's my one you know guilty pleasure. I, I just love Tommy Rich uh, impersonations and listening to his promos, and his shoot in real was hilarious. Um, oh, it's hysterical. And the Tommy Rich promos were great. And if you, like I said, looking at those Memphis uh, DVDs, you know, when they would bring him in and he would start to, you know, he would start to do the, the change and everything. Uh, but it was always so funny because there was, I remember in a couple of those, there were some ref, and, you know, when I look at those old ones, I forget that they used to do a lot of, uh, of uh, racial uh, oh yeah, I was actually shocked. Including the baby faces would say some pretty yeah. uh, offensive, ra- you know, racist remarks. I was like, you know, and Tommy Rich was saying, you know, "All my black fans out there in Memphis, they all love me." You know, and it's like, wow. You know. <laughs> well, we're, we're we're talking about Memphis. Um, I have to put Bob Barnett over. Uh, BobBarnett.com. Bob did the first ever official shoot interview with uh, Eddie Gilbert. That is and, one of the greatest shoot interviews of all time. And the three-disc set that accompanies it, the best of Eddie Gilbert, yeah. just brilliant stuff. Um, the the double turn with him and Tommy, yeah. uh, with the uh, Wrestling Fans International uh, Tag Team of the Year Award, and they both yeah. bled all over all Mike. That's good shit. Um, what did you guys think of uh, of Eddie's work? Oh, he was amazing. Yeah. What I mean, that the, guy was just... One of the things that I, I really regret was when we first started promoting after we did our first show with um, Sabu and, and Al Snow, I really wanted I, – I, I really, really wanted to have Eddie Gilbert versus Sabu. 
because no one had done that yet. And I I would, thought that would have just blown the roof off someplace. And unfortunately, he passed away within a few weeks after that. But uh, Eddie Gilbert's work, um, I, I, that's one of those guys that I really wish I could have met him. I would love to have sat down, and he was such a, a fount of, of wrestling history down south. And I remember uh, talking to my friend Danny Wolf, who was going down to Memphis on a regular basis for the Financial News Network when they were putting on the, the Memphis wrestling in the 19... 19- 80s, I think it was, and uh, he would sit there, and uh, I remember that he was there the night that Lawler won the title from Kurt Hennig, and it killed Eddie that he couldn't go out front and celebrate, or he couldn't do anything because he was such a heel at that point, Uh, but Danny said he sat there with him, and and, uh, Eddie was just so excited because he just loved Lawler so much, and just really admired uh, the work. And I really think it's a shame that, you know, he was completely wasted, mostly in WCW. And uh, I know that I always heard a rumor at one point when they were bringing Missy Hyatt in before they knew what they were wanted to do with her, before they made her an interviewer. There, there was talk about actually bringing Eddie in and teaming him up with Kurt Hennig and calling them the perfect tag team and have Missy manage them. Uh, I'm, you know, it, it, it was great because, you know, Kurt got, he got his chance to shine, which was uh, really important, and, and it would have been a waste to put Kurt Henning at that point in a tag team. But uh, you look at that stuff that Eddie did in Mid-South, and when he went down and started uh, Continental Wrestling down there, uh, it was great because you talk about that, that Eddie Gilbert-Tommy Rich angle that they did. Eddie took that and did that with the Nightmares down in Continental and recreated it exactly. And he took stuff like the time uh, that... Um, you know, uh, Pistol Pez Watley's son got shoved down. I mean, he would do some really heavy-duty angles that uh, now wouldn't be a big deal, but back then was just stuff you didn't do. Uh, well, I think that he was one of the geniuses of wrestling. Well, and he seemed like one of the guys if he was around today, even though the stuff he did back then was tame, he'd figure out some way to still make it edgy and racy, you know? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah, I'm waiting that, um, for the one thing I'm waiting for is that they've they've done this everywhere, and I'm I'm sure that eventually TNA or WWE will do it, and that is where they will actually have a wrestler be killed in a storyline, and then just not bring them back. <laughs> well, didn't they do that with the Undertaker once, and he came back to life? Well, they always do that, the Undertaker. But I just see, you know, I just imagine eventually they're going to do it angle where imagine instead of just like cutting Test loose, somebody shot him and killed him. Yeah, well, I, I'm still not watching ECW until they bring back the zombie and put him over. Don't they know that zombies don't get knocked down with a kendo stick? I don't know. Actually, you have to ECW, kill the brain. ECW is one of the few really fun shows to watch, still, actually. Yeah, but until the zombie bites somebody and has this whole horde of zombies to eat the other wrestlers, I am See, not that, watching that's it. That's a great idea, because I love zombie films. They should have had that the zombie bite people, and each week you know, the, the wrestler would come out you know, as, as a zombie, and they would start. He would build an army of zombies. That and then perfect. you could have a lumberjack match where the ring is surrounded by zombies. Yeah, or I always thought that uh, I was always surprised that since Vince was always the master of the bad taste uh, angles, that he was going to do an angle where the Undertaker turned heel and started bringing back to life wrestlers who had died, oh, and they geez. were going to hire lookalikes <laughs> to come to the ring as zombies or whatever. And I, I should have that too loud. He may still do it. But, you know, it wouldn't be shocking. <laughs> no, it wouldn't be at all. 
Excuse me. Bless me. <laughs> the Undertaker's there. Gorgeous George, come forth. <laughs> They could actually do that now on ECW, where they could resurrect Christian's career. Yeah, it's a shame. <laughs> you know, that's going to take an like exor- that. That's going to take an exorcism to jump from AAA to do oh, that. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> They'll bring Benny Hine in or that something. That poor guy. He is such a good worker. I like him so much. You know, I, I watched the other night. I kept thinking, I think I think he wants to haul off and punch Hornswoggle really bad. You know? <laughs> I love how you can really annoy people just by putting over Hornswoggle. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Now, now on my uh, on my show this past uh, Sunday, I did a special show, and uh, my guests and I we were discussing who would manage Jack Swagger on ECW because that kid's going to be really, really good, and he's going to be a player, but the list has got to go. He's <laughs> no Dust Rhodes, baby. So. Well, are you Ooh. talking about somebody within the WWE or bringing somebody in from outside? Anybody. They well, just I mean, have a penis. They have to have a penis. That's the only... Oh, I, you know, the first person <laughs> that pops to my head is Larry Sweeney. If you could bring Larry well, Sweeney yeah. in, that would, that would be killer. But if you look at the guys that are in there now, there's a, lot of, there's a couple of guys that could talk real well that don't need to... Um, you know, actually, I think what I would do is... I know Fitz Finley wants to work some more, but... You know, I think they could have done an angle where, you know, Finley begrudgingly respects Swagger for beating him and becomes like the mentor to him. And then that way he could, you know, you could have Finley do all the talking or have some one of the older guys do that. Because that, the old mentor uh, thing always worked well because eventually if you wanted to turn one of the guys, you would either have them, you know, turn on the teacher or the teacher would turn on the student, you know. And I think that would, would help him a lot to that point. I say you know? exploit the list. Exploit the list. Yeah, you know, tell, tell tell him how fucked up his speech is, and you know, have him exaggerate it, and I don't know, have a speech therapist come in as his manager. There you go. Bring a speech therapist in. That that's a good. That idea. would be awesome. Around. I mean, hey, they had they had a, a or put Dusty Rhodes with him. Uh, that, yeah, perfect. Yeah, to make it they could have a list therapist. Ball. Yeah, exactly. I don't know why they make fun of the way you talk because I see nothing wrong with it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, now people people have mentioned Santino in that role. I don't think so because Santino's no. going to end up being a general manager on one of the brands. Yeah, they yeah. He's that guy out of the ring. No, yeah, they just he, need to bring him yeah. in every once in a while to have him get beat up and say some things and, and get the heat. They don't need to put him with anybody or to do anything with him. They need He's great in his role as it is. I get, because I figure get eventually, just kind of I figure eventually when this Beth Phoenix thing ends, you know, there'll be matches between Santino and Beth Phoenix. And at that point, after that's over, after she's beaten him three or four times, I, you know, they should make him general manager. or They almost need to turn him face because the reaction to him is so great. At this point, um, you know, how, but, how could you turn him? How could you turn? Um, it's it'd be pretty. I mean, if you listen to the way, the way he the, the way he talks, it, it'd be all you got to do is take him out there with a, a, a couple of the heels once or twice, like with Randy Orton or whatever, and have him make fun of of uh, Randy Awful or Randy Orful or whatever, you know, uh, and uh, make fun of uh, Cody and uh, Ted Jr. And I think he'd be over really quick. And then, of course, have him get kicked in the head. Well, it, it won't be it won't be Orton because 
uh, Orton is uh, ripe for a face turn, and he's, well, he's, right, know, for he's right on that cut. So. And I think actually what they're going to do is do, I, I think they're ripe for a face turn. I think the Triple H is pretty well ripe for a heel turn, too, at this point. Uh, yeah, I there's think very little you can do with him. There's very little you can do with him. Though I would like to see them do a thing one time with Orton before they turn him. Where he, this is what I would have had him do with Shane when they blew off the feud. Is they could have done one of those backstage things where he goes to kick Shane in the head, and then they could cut away, and then he could kick Shane's head off. And you would have seen, seen Shane's head bounce down the hallway. <laughs> Too bad they don't have Super Crazy anymore, because Super Crazy could do a couple soccer moves with the head. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and then, and then, the, then, the, then the Lucha guy would come out and start playing soccer. That would be perfect. Actually, you know, I'm, I'm really surprised that, that Randy hasn't kicked his father in the head yet on camera. Bob, yeah. yeah they, they, the, the career is young. The career yeah, is I mean, they young. Still, well, they still could, you know. But I, here's the thing is, I don't, I really wonder, even though he's been in a wrestling family and brought up, if when you were given the opportunity and, and your dad would say, you know, make a good daddy, you know, uh, that what's <laughs> going to happen is that he's going he's gonna to wind up pulling back at the last second. I don't think he can help but do that. Hmm. You know, so that's the only thing bad about that. They would have to cut it a certain way or do something with it. Uh, but well, uh, they, maybe maybe that could be the start of a babyface turn by yeah. stopping from kicking his dad, and then the seeds are planted. Yeah, I know, hope, and I, and I hope with they continue this thing with Jericho. I want to see, Jer- you know, uh, I want to see Jericho. And speaking of Dusty, I want to see Jericho and Dusty square mm-hmm. off because <laughs> I also been watching a lot of those WWE um, uh, best of uh, the roundtable shows. Uh, and Dusty's absolutely hysterical on those shows. Did you he's watch the new one? Uh, I've, I've seen uh, the Lawler Junkyard Dog, and I've seen the uh, a couple of the other ones, and I always love because Michael Hayes always gets irritated that what would happen is that he would they would work really hard to bring people in, and then Dusty and Andre would come in and get the big payoffs. Mm-hmm. And they always, and, they, and, they're, and they're finally going, will you let that go? Will you let that go? You know, just, just let it go, you know. But they're always making fun of, uh, you know, Dusty was talking about, he, says, oh, he, he talked about Terry Funk and he, on those, and he says that he wrestled Dory Funk Jr. one night to uh, an hour draw, and the next night he wrestled Terry Funk, and they, and they had a, a riot in 10 minutes. <laughs> and uh, they were teasing, and they were saying, well, what really happened there, Dream, was you wrestled an hour the night before, and you blew up the next night and only do 10 minutes. <laughs> and they, yeah. they actually got on him also because of the fact that, uh, that they, oh, he said at one point, he goes, yeah, I wrestled, I wrestled Dory Funk, and I lost 60 pounds. And Mike Graham said, you sure put it back on awful fast. You know. So I re- really recommend those because they're really, there's some great matches on there, and the roundtable things are straight non kayfabe, which I love. You know, you can those those originally aired on WWE twenty four seven. Yeah, they show one monthly, and they just put one out for February for African American Month. And yeah, it's called Wrestling Soul. Wrestling I have yet Soul. to watch it. I'm going to watch it probably tomorrow night. But why do I think it's going to be a bunch of guys named Coco, Bobo, uh, Samba? Bobo. You know. Bobo's yeah, they'll, they'll probably be uh, talking the history of the headbutt, the way they try to spin it. And okay, now you know. Yeah, what's I always cringe actually... when wrestling's going to do something that seems to be, you know, civic-minded. Those they, are great. They shows, brought though. in they brought in Bill Watts for this one. Oh, <laughs> oh, 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 lordy! <laughs> yes. 
that Bill Watson started talking about. Well, you know, I had some of them boys working for me down there on the uh, plantation, and then I had them come up. (laughs) Well, I would really love to see – I wish they would air the really old 1970s uh, WWF uh, TV tapings because until you've seen the jobbers that they had, oh God, nothing. Oh, Pinky guys like Larson, Cowboy um, Hondo, Juan Caruso. These guys were <laughs> all at the Spaceman Frank Hickey. These guys were all at the end of their careers or at the beginning of a very bad career. And they, you know, and I do miss the old enhancement guys. I love the job guys at that, that time because. In fact, um, Joe Perko was probably the only guy that is hairier than Bruno Lauer. Yeah, exactly. And I always remember, you, you know, know? they were just wonderful. <laughs> Oh, they were you know, great. And also, you know, you were um, we were talking about um, about the uh, the job guys. I mean, that's what I really miss these days. I think there's something to be said when I watch the old WWE or WWF shows from back a long time ago. Um, I I really enjoy those those shows when they would have you know guys like Freddie Blassie versus Mike Pappas or uh, Al Nelson versus you know uh, Smasher Sloan. Yeah, Smasher Sloan and all those guys because again they were they were given just a little bit of color or just enough color to really um, to, to really you know and it got the guy over the guy could come out he would he would beat the hell out of these guys he would get his finisher over with and then he'd do an interview or have his manager do an interview and the thing is now you know you if you're going to be a, a heel. Um, you know, it's, it's you almost don't even need to have a finisher anymore because the odds are you're not going to get a chance to put it on anybody. Mm-hmm. This is true, and if you do put it on somebody, they break out of it. They're going to break out of it, and it's ruined. I mean, how many uh, times have you seen the figure four actually end a match? Not often. <laughs> well, I mean, think about it. We we remember days when they used to give up to the abdominal stretch. Yeah, and the way Black Ordman would work it, it was awesome. Yeah, exactly. And you look at a lot of those, you know, they very people very rarely do they do leg holds anymore. But, you know, with uh, besides the figure four, you know, the spinning toe hold and some of those other things that they used to do, no one works the legs anymore. I mean, they may they may do a lot of chop blocks, but no one really there's not a lot of leg locks and stuff like that being done anymore. And, you know, because well, fact, they don't I'm want the guys the, to go down to the ground. I'll never forget the first live match I ever saw at the Olympic I think the third match on the card was Victor Rivera versus Goliath. And it was the first time I ever saw a match where they're just working a few exchanges of holds over like a 20-minute period and then had a kind of bland finish. And I was like 11 years old, and I'm sitting there thinking, wait a minute, wrestling on TV, they lock up and they start kicking and punching each other and raking each other's eyes. Yeah. What's all this hold crap? And that was funny because that's what most TV matches were, especially in L.A. Is you know, and they were in L.A. I mean, and, and, you know, that's back. Also, you look at that. Well, you know, Victor yeah. Rivera's finisher was three drop kicks and a, and uh, maybe a somersault and a cover. Oh, in fact, that's what I remember best about the old WWF TV tapings in the '70s. Is some of the jobbers people would throw holes in them that wouldn't connect and that sell them. Yeah, I specifically say that because I think it was. Maniac Mike Gordon or one of those guys, Victor Rivera threw two drop kicks, and then the third one he missed by a foot easily on camera, and he sold it and got pinned. Yeah, I think you're thinking of Maniac Mike Conrad. That's who I think yeah, the guy yeah, was. Yeah, that's but, probably right. Yeah, uh, but, uh, yeah but no, some that's... of those, some of those uh, and of course, you know, back then they'd never edit that stuff out. <laughs> yeah, well, they couldn't afford to. I mean, and the thing was, you know, you always saw an angle coming. Because whenever they had two guys wrestle each other, 
who were not, you know, who were actually main event status or not jobbers, something always happened. It always ended in a double DQ or there was something, you know, it would set up an angle. That's what's funny about watching the Saturday Night uh, Main Event uh, DVD. Uh, it, it's, it's great. It's actually very nostalgic to actually look back and look at all that stuff. But you realize when I look through all those matches, 90% of those matches were either to set up something at WrestleMania uh, or as a blow-off for something that happened after WrestleMania. Yes. Hold air, bitches. I have to agree with you on that. Um, you know, it's it's their... I guess that they they don't use the enhancement matches anymore because they figure, you know, people are going to come in as superstars and yeah. I don't know, you know, they don't build up anybody anymore. They don't. They rarely do uh, promo build ups. Uh, no, they just, they're just there. Yeah, they just you know, and, I mean, and and it gave a chance, and the enhancement stuff gave guys a chance in the old days to really learn and work their craft and really learn how to do stuff. And it's really not serving the guys anything nowadays to bring them up really quick and just throw them out there and expect them to do something. And if they don't do what you expect them to do in two or three weeks, they're already headed down the, you know, they're headed toward the uh, the Jack's uh, recently released uh, figures line, you know, at uh, Target, you know. Uh, they, they're wind up, you know, I mean, that's that's when you always can tell when things are bad. If you go on Target and you look at the, WWE figures, and they're figures that just came out of somebody who was let go three months ago. Yeah, I can only imagine a lot of the old-timers must just be kind of shrugging at, you know, these pushes, you know, these intense pushes given to really young guys when, yeah. um, if anybody remembers back in the 70s how long Kurt Hennig was an opening match wrestler before he got any kind of a push. Oh, yeah. And he and Eddie Gilbert both, and they were both in the WWE, and they were sent there for one reason, and that is to learn how to do that. On on the Kurt Hennig DVD that was put out by the WWE, they have mm-hmm. the 20 minute draw on there from MSG with Eddie Gilbert, which is a good Hennig. match, actually. It really oh, yeah. is awesome. Yeah, awesome. it really and truly is, and and that's what the that's what the the guys did, and and that's where they learned, and. That's a shame that they they can't learn that way anymore. Or and I can't. It's hard for me to believe. With all the people, I, whenever they talk about TNA, I can understand Vince Russo hot shotting the angles that he does. But you have someone like Dutch Mantel. I can't figure out with all the background he has in wrestling, you know, whether he just gets voted down all the time or what the deal is. Because uh, you know, down in Memphis, very few angles that they ever lay out in Memphis that didn't unfold perfectly. You yeah. know, and you can tell that from watching those DVDs. Well, and I remember back in the early 80s, if you talked to somebody who worked Memphis, especially somebody younger there, saying, like, you know, Dutch is the one who just carried the respect in the dressing room. Yeah, And, and, and you know, people and, would be nervous about upsetting Dutch. And, you know, now you, you almost hear people just, like, laughing when they hear his name. And the thing is also, yeah, that they they only had a handful of guys in the territory at one time. So there were a lot of repeat matches, a lot of rematches, and they always had and that made them work harder to try to think of ways to you know, to spruce up the matches or make bring people in. I mean, if you look at that whole Fabulous Ones Moondog feud, which was a great series of matches down there, uh, they must have wrestled four thousand times those guys they did every type of match known to man but they're all really really great and they would bring somebody in like jackie fargo would come in for a while then he would leave or they would bring somebody in here or there and 
that's why, uh, you know, it's a shame that, uh, and I know it's, it'd be very hard, and I doubt very much the territories could exist again, just because the way that cable TV is yeah. and everything. It's, well, it's, it's got the there first. Things. If anybody else could have got there, they would have. But, you know, it, it was only yeah, a matter well, that, of time. Like, that was a day where not just wrestling was regional, but everything was regional. We had yeah, regional celebrities. Exactly. We had, you know, you know, the regional car salesman on TV, and, you know, we had our AD-do plumbing uh Celebrity. I well, mean, yeah, and, and, and if you were a, a baseball fan, you would you couldn't see, you know, you couldn't follow other teams unless it was the game of the week. On right, on right, exactly. You know, well, and um, it's funny because uh, Steve Johnson from Canada, uh, the guy who did the Heels book with Gray Oliver, sent me yeah. a CD and just said, "I think you'll be surprised." And you know, Dan and I have always mourned that the Channel 13 tapings here in Los Angeles were all destroyed. But uh, somebody years ago sent Steve Johnson an audio tape of one of the Channel 13 shows. And, you know, it was like instant opium for me listening to yeah, the voice of Jimmy great. Lennon and Dick Lane. But what, you know, it's funny because I, I thought, hmm, I wonder if I'm just remembering this with uh, a rose-colored uh, memory. Were they really as you know good as I remember them being a kid? But when I listened to them, you know, it... It it wasn't so much the wrestlers that made the show. It was you had this pristine ring announcer like Jimmy Lennon and Dick Lane just – I mean, Dick Lane, you could have had the two worst wrestlers in the ring, and he'd make the match seem exciting. And I forgot how heated the crowd uh, was in L.A. for the TV tapings. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. And again, I don't want to. I know it sounds like all we're doing is talking about all oh, the old days were better. The old days were better. Old it's man, funny, man. <laughs> but it's funny though because I remember like 15 years ago being invited to like a cauliflower alley barbecue, and all the guys there were guys that worked in the 50s, and all they did was bitch about the guys that were working in the 80s. You know, yeah, and the, and so, you I know mean it's remember... only natural. But I think one of the things again, since announcing has become like a lost art. I mean, if you look at the territories, the strong territories survived because you had Gordon Soley and you had Lance Russell and you had Dick Lanes and you had um, um, oh, the gentleman who uh, well, you Ray, uh, guys Ray who Morgan have... in up in, in, in Washington originally, uh, who's the guy you always hear in the beginning when uh, when they do the WWE uh, logo thing. That's the guy you hear. Uh, in the very beginning of that, and you know they all had different styles. You know, Soli was was very very low key, and um, you know, and Jim Ross, who who reminds me so much of those, is so good. Uh, and then again, if you listen to guys like Lance Russell, uh, and, and you know, Lance Russell was a guy that in his entire wrestling career as an announcer only did one angle, one small angle, and that was about it. And he had just the simple way of making a match sound real and sometimes he would get irritated but he wouldn't be doing this oh my god how can he you know that kind of stuff you know someone say ah tommy rich is busted open again you know that in in la it was very much a a a good versus evil thing where when the bad guy would do something dick lane would go oh come on now what's this all about but the way dick lane sold it 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 just got over and and what also was so cool about channel 13 was they had that beat the champ title that was defended on tv each week so there would be something to watch TV for rather yeah. than just a 90-minute advertisement, but they would plug the hell out of the live event at the Olympic. 
And that beat the champ belt was originally called the I think it was the bar clothing. It was the bar. It was the bar clothing got, for for they got a sponsor for men. I think. <laughs> yeah, they got a sponsor for it, which I always thought was you know. Does that make you the the TV champ of suits? I guess or whatever. I, love I don't it. know. It was, I love it. <laughs> Yeah, we're old. We're definitely old. We're getting yeah, old. Hey, I remember well, you know, reading some book about Roddy wrestling. Roddy Piper said kids. old school is cool. I mean, hey, I'll, yeah, I'll so, go with that. But I remember even reading some book about uh, the, like wrestling that was written in like 1959, and they had old timers saying this shit today is so fake. And you know, I think it's just a generational thing. You know, it's it's you know everybody gets nostalgic for. Yeah. The old days. And I, mean, I, I really, really, su- I, now, I really I, suggest to I really suggest to people that you know um, one if you're listening to us if you go to YouTube or you look around you can find some of these things and I and I don't think that if you, after you watch them after you get used to the pace and how things were done then you'll see what we're kind of talking about and also if you know I say to people if they're really bored with wrestling now step away from it maybe for a little bit but what you do when you step away is you know, pick up the Memphis tapes, pick up the the WWE old uh, old school tapes, or you know, read a lot of different wrestling books. I mean, there was that uh, the Ringside by uh, by Beekman is what I've been reading recently, which is a history of wrestling, a pretty decent one back from the times of uh, in Greece and whatever up through the Carnies and things like that. And I think what happens is you wind up keeping a respect for the art of professional wrestling. And then you can kind of pick and choose what you want to see and what you don't want to see. I tape uh, Raw every week, but I truthfully what I do is I scan through it. And if I see something that looks interesting, I'll watch it. If not, I'll keep going. Well, again, it's the, like, pace, uh, the pace of the show is just not. <laughs> the pace of the show well, is just not for that, you know. And the other generational well, I, thing is there's nothing like the first year you discover pro wrestling. You never yeah. recapture that high when you – discover it. I mean, it, for me, it was 1972 watching Titanis and El Ring and Channel 13, and same with all the kids watching Raw today, and, and you know, another 10 years, they'll be, you know, remembering the old days of John Cena. All right, you bitter old men. We okay. have to wrap it up. God um, damn it. You're going to go plug talk about si- MMA right now, right? Pl- plug the site, Curtis. You know, why, why is Stan, www.stantheembryo.com some of the most uh, you know shallow literature you will ever find, and I recommend everybody go find a bootleg copy of Skidoo somewhere. It'll be the most important movie you'll ever see in your life. Yeah. And Kid Zombie, when you start talking about MMA in a few minutes, make sure you grease up first. And remind people that that MMA shit is real. <laughs> it's a work, dude. It's no, all reality work. is way overrated, rated, man. <laughs> well, there we go. I want to see Mil Mascaris versus St. Pierre or somebody like that. That's I what want I want to see that. See. Yeah, I paid uh, money to see that. We pride Mirko Krokop against Dos Caras Jr. So oh, sweet. Know. Sweet. Yes, I remember that. That was pretty brutal. That was too real. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would think the professional, I mean, you know, ask your next guest, I think the professional wrestlers should actually thank a lot of the MMA guys because if they keep going to jail on a regular basis, they're going to make the pro wrestlers look good. <laughs> That's go. right, yeah. There it is. But yeah. if Martin Carradagon was still alive, he'd kick St. Pierre's ass. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, Curtis, it's always a pleasure to have you on. Thank Dan, you, KZ. Thank you. Thank you, KZ. Anytime, it's always fun. Take All care. right, guys, take care. Okay, Okay, that was the ambiguously straight duo um, of Dan Farron and 
Kurt Brown, wow. Wow. Matt, I know you're on hold, but I have to play a commercial. The boss man says so, so just hold on a sec. Pro Wrestling Got You Down? Need something to lift your spirits? Listen to the podcast at angrymarks.com. If wrestling gets you all hot and bothered, we've got what you need. Visit angrymarks.com or subscribe for free on iTunes. The angrymarks.com podcast, where the marks get nothing but satisfaction. Thanks to Lady J at AngryMarks.com for the commercial. I have on the line Rebel Guard Radio's in-house MMA expert, Mr. Matt Bishop. It is 11.30 p.m. on the East Coast. Thank you for calling in, Matt. I'm sorry about the uh, miscommunication. I swore you were in Michigan. I am. Michigan's uh, Eastern Time Zone. Oh, motherfucker. Okay. Well, you know, I I can't get it right all the time. But uh, welcome to your debut. Um, just to let the pe- people and listeners know that uh, Matt will be coming on once a month right before um, the Wednesday shows before UFC events so we can uh, run down the card and, and whatnot and um, talk MMA news and, and all that fun stuff, considering we are called Rubber Guard Radio. Welcome to the show, Matt. How's it going? Oh, it's, uh, it's going real well. I got to see uh, my Michigan State women's basketball team uh, put a hurting on Michigan tonight, which is always good. We held them to 27 points, and uh, I spent my I spent my last hour uh, playing Oregon Trail. So, uh, you know, fun night. Cool. Did you live? Uh, I'm kind of in the middle of it right now. Two two people in my party have died, uh, so that's kind of and I freaking lost oxen trying to ford the river. So, <laughs> just just uh, let the listeners. Alrighty, now that was kind of weak. I forgot to hit the button. Um, now, for those that are listening, um, I'm such an old timer. I used to play Oregon Trail in elementary school in the Apple IIe. I'm that old. Wow. <laughs> I think I I think I played that a long, long time ago when I was in like third grade. Back in the day, brother, when things were so simple. When things <laughs> were so simple. Now let's uh, but before we run down the lineup for Saturday's show, let's uh, let's talk about uh, the UFC 97 being cleared up there in uh, Montreal. Um, I think the UFC pulled a fast one on that athletic commission up there um, by just taking away the, the lame ass foot stomps, which I think are gay anyway. But uh, what, what do you think about that news? Well, you know, actually, I'm kind of surprised that they even gave in on anything, knowing uh, knowing how these guys operate most of the time. It's most of the time it's their way or the highway. So I'm kind of surprised that they even gave in on the foot stomps. Uh, but you know what? I think uh, I, I mean not being completely in on it, but I would have to assume there had been some political pressure on the commission, uh, considering you know all the money that that show was going to bring in uh, to Montreal, especially in. Uh, such a crappy economy. So, I mean, I think you have to look at uh, that fact as being, uh, you know, the biggest reason why this thing got turned around. And, I mean, they they have the MGM Grand booked in Las Vegas and ready to move it there if they had to. Um, But they were able to come to uh, 
a reasonable agreement with uh, the Quebec Commission, which is always a good thing because uh, that first event uh, in Montreal was a lot of fun. Now, the question is, is it going to live uh, air live? And yeah. Okay, that's, that's good. So it's not going to be a Spike TV. I hate that shit. Fucking commercials suck. <laughs> yeah, and I, I can't keep myself away from the spoilers either. It's like, okay, it started at 3 and it's going to air at 9. You know, it's it's tough to stay off all the websites for that long. Well, thank God for a live stream, but that's all I'm saying. <laughs> uh, the European shows are watched on stream. I mean, I, I ordered the the pay-per-views, but it's the live streams for the uh, the international shit. I just I can't wait. I'm not a doctor. I don't have any patience. So, uh, you know, it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, see, I was going to do that for this show, but then I, uh, but I'm heading down to Bowling Green, Ohio uh, for a Michigan State hockey game, so I'm not going to be able to catch that, uh, catch that live, so I actually do have to wait for the spike. Uh, there you go. There you go. That, well, you get out of, you get a, you got your get out of jail free card. You know, you're not going to be tempted to, to look for anything, but I will exactly. be in front of my computer. Uh, the question is, I'm not quite sure what time it's going to air live, so we'll see. <clears throat> but now, um, there's some buzz for UFC 100. Um, mm-hmm. What what have you heard as far as matches being uh, confirmed or any fighters uh, announced? Have, have you heard anything? Well, the big one right now is George St. Pierre versus Tiago Alves for the welterweight title. That's, uh, that's pretty much a lock to happen there. And they also want to have a... Uh, the light heavyweight title uh, up for grabs, which of course is the UFC's premier title. Uh, and that would of course be Rashad Evans defending more than likely against Quentin Rampage Jackson. And if for some reason he loses to Keith Jardine, they got Lyoto Machida right there. Um, outside of those two fights, um, the talk is that there's going to be Michael Bisping versus Dan Henderson on that card as well. And that they're going to sort of build to the triple main event uh, that they've, you know, that worked out for them so well in December. Hmm. Okay, sounds fun. Um, there's been there's been rumblings about a Masters match. Maybe do you think that uh, they're going to be able to pull that off? Uh, I don't I don't want to see that. I mean, I, well, I, I I guess I should preface that by saying it depends who it is because if it, if if you're going to consider Randy Couture as you know in, in that kind in that ilk at this point, uh, then it kind of changes my mind. But I mean, if you're going to bring in old guys, just to bring in old guys. Um, but hoisting Ken. Well, I mean, you'd have some commission problems with that because of the weight discrepancies. I mean, that would be, uh, for old times' sake, fun. But as we saw when we saw uh, Kazushi Sakuraba versus Hoist Gracie at uh, K1 Dynamite USA back in June of 2007, those type of rematches don't always work out uh, for the best. I mean, and I'm sure as we'll see, uh, within a few months here, when we see uh, Ken Shamrock versus Tank Abbott at some no-name promotion, uh, you know, it's going to be the same thing. I may actually drive to Reno to see that. I'm <laughs> God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> well, actually, I'd probably be going up to play poker, but, you know, I may actually catch the fight. But oh, have, okay. have they announced a date? Uh, no, they haven't. That's kind of up in the air, and I, honestly, I wouldn't expect it to happen uh, for at least three or four months because, I mean, shows like that that are kind of unestablished don't run very often, and so they're going to have to take some time to regroup, I would think. Logic would tell me that, but uh, stranger things have happened. But I, w- I would expect it pro- probably around June, I would think, if they're 
even going to do it. Hope so. Hope it's a June. That would be really nice. So that uh, yeah, a wife and I can go up for our, for our birthdays and go watch uh, Ken get his head beat in. <laughs> oh, that'd be tremendous. Oh, dude, it would rule. They just don't... They they need to just put it out on DVD. Don't even try to go the pay-per-view route. You know, just uh, put it on DVD and plaster it all over SureDog. You know, all the hardcores on the underground will buy it. Uh, that's the market. I, I don't... I don't see, I don't understand why more promotions that are trying to break in don't go with the, the quote-unquote Ring of Honor type of business mold where you're putting out DVDs as opposed to putting out pay-per-views. Well, I, I don't think a lot of people are going in the pay-per-view anymore in MMA unless they have a lot of, you know, big stars. Like, I mean, Affliction has Fedor, so they're going to do well. Yeah, for now. They're going to do well in pay-per-view with, you know, their... 100, 150,000 buys or whatever it'll end up being, um, but it's because they pay everybody so much that that model is not exactly working out for them right now. But at, at the same time, I think you're seeing, I mean, the IFL never tried pay-per-view. Uh, Elite XC only had combined pay-per-views with Strike Force, um, and I believe that was only one. It was the Brony Shamrock card. Um, so, you know, nobody's really going that route, and I would not expect that. Uh, to be on pay-per-view because, I mean, you saw the, the WFA, which had a great headlining fight in Quentin Jackson and Matt Lindland, you know, that sold no pay-per-views. I was probably one of 15,000 people to buy that card, and I, I enjoyed it, but nobody else did, and that's why they folded after that show. Hmm. Well, you, you mentioned Strike Force. Strike Force is my home promotion. Um, I'm from the Bay Area, and I will be there for Nick Diaz and Frank Shamrock. Um, what are your thoughts on that fight? It's a good first fight, I think. I mean, you look at who they have to deal with and who they can bring in and who is going to sell. And these two guys are going to are going to sell, uh, you know, tickets. And Shamrock, of course, is always going to sell tickets. Um, but then you have Nick Diaz, who, uh, whether he knows it or not, is a big mouth. And when he's talking about red dye number five and going on his uh, insane tangents. I don't know if you've heard those, but they're pretty funny. Oh, yeah. uh, you, know, he can, uh, you know, he can end up selling a fight, too. So I think it's a good matchup. And uh, the fact that Frank's going to come down in weight to 179 and Diaz will go up a little bit, I think it's uh, you know, very interesting uh, stylistically, and I'll be interested to see uh, the shape it takes. Now, I'll tell you, Nick Diaz is the last guy that I ever thought would be a fighter. Okay. I first met Nick when he was three years old, and he had this big head, and he was a little dirty little kid, and he was so awkward. And then he moved um, from Daly City, where I grew up, and then he moved up to Stockton. I think he was four when he moved. And then all of a sudden, I saw him on UFC. I'm like, hey, I know that kid. And, you know, he's so much changed, and, you know, he still has the attitude, though. He was a little dirty little punk, and he still is. But he's got the talent. Um, he's money. He's money. If put in that situation, um, which I know Scott Coker will, and I know that Frank Shamrock will push the envelope where they will draw money. Uh, no doubt, because they're going to pack 18000 in the Shark Tank again. And it's going to be fun. I, I hope so. I hope they pack that many in, because, I mean, we need, you know, as as fans, we need a, a number two promotion that's going to be legit. And right now, Strike Force is the closest thing that we have to that. And so I, I think, you know, 
I, I really do want to see them take off and do well. Mm-hmm. Well, they will. I mean, they, they, they all know what they're doing. Frank knows what he's doing. Scott, uh, Scott Coker knows what he's doing. Um, they have the building because uh, they're part owners. The owners of the Shark Tank are part owners of Strike Force. Um, they know what they're doing and they know how to promote. But it's a shame because I would love to see UFC in that building. Um, just, but it's never going to happen as long as Strike Force is around. You know, because it's obvious. You know, they're going to keep their own promotion there. But uh, yeah, that I, I I think the sky's the limit for Strike Force, and because they they have the proper business model, um, they don't use overpriced talent. Um, they know how to pay Frank properly, where he will not, you know, strong arm them. I I don't know what Frank gets paid. I think he probably would get a percentage of the gate. Um, that's just my – I don't know what his what his deal is, but I think he's going to get it on the gate. So, you know, he's not going to strong-arm them, and they, they don't use the higher-priced guys for some odd reason. But they do have quality fighters. Um, the first Strike Force show, we had Nate Diaz in a dark fight. Um, I mean, there were so many people there. Uh, just an amazing show, and – you know, I mean, I've been to UFC, and it's nothing compared to what I saw at Strike Force. That crowd was just insane, and you guys wait until you see it on TV. It just blows anything away. Um, <clears throat> but let's uh, let's get to UFC right here. We have UFC 95 coming from the O2 Arena in the United Kingdom uh, on Spike TV, 9 p.m. Eastern and Pacific. For those that are going to watch the Spike TV feed. Um, in the dark fights, we have Rude Boy Troy. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name against Paul Kelly. Uh, Paul Kelly's a scrapper. Uh, Rude Boy's a dickhead with an attitude from Hawaii. Thoughts um, on this fight? Uh, you know, I, I have to say, uh, you know, Paul Kelly here because they're not going to put this guy in a fight in the UK that he can lose uh, against somebody, you know of uh, Troy Menelones' uh, character. So I just don't see, uh, you know, like I said, I don't see them putting Paul Kelly in there to lose. It just doesn't make any sense uh, from a business perspective, especially when uh, they're, they're pushing Dan Hardy and essentially the co-main event, uh, you know, in the U.K. for this, this show. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the next, well, this one, I think Paul's going to take him out. Just uh, Rudy's going to try to brawl, and you just don't do that with Kelly. He's just too... You know, he's got too much talent and twice as much experience, and you know, he'll just put him away. Uh, the next one we have Per Eklund against Evan Durham. I have no idea who either one of these guys are. Uh, do you? Okay. Are you on, Matt? Oh, I'm sorry. I, yeah, sorry. Yeah, Eklund's uh, fought in the UFC a few times. Uh, one-on-one record. He submits uh, Semi Schiavo at UFC 89. Um, I, I believe Dunham is a late replacement. I can't recall for who, uh, but coming in as a late replacement and having to, uh, you know, fly to the UK and get everything set like that, um, I don't like his chances, although Eklund is nothing, uh, nothing spectacular either, but I think he will probably take a decision. Hmm. Uh, the next one, we got the big boys. Uh, Neil Grove taking on 
Mike C. I can't even pronounce his last name. Um, I'm horrible. Jeez, what kind I, of I, I, I just go with uh, Sisnolevich. <laughs> there you go. That works. Uh, what, what do you think of this one? Uh, again, uh, Mike C., late replacement, uh, moving up the heavyweight. He wasn't even that big of a 205 or to begin with, um, so you that would set off some alarm bells. But then Neil Grove is not good. Um, <laughs> I mean, he, he got I, – I don't even know why this guy uh, is, is in the UFC, to be quite honest with you. Um, but, you know, we'll see. He's got – he's a decent heavyweight. Uh, from Cage Rage, and he, I don't think he's up to the UFC caliber, though, and he'll get routed out pretty quick once he faces uh, some decent competition. But uh, I don't know. It's just tough to say. Um, I'll go with Mike C. on the upset. Um, go with a ground and pound TKO in the second round, but I'm not real confident in that one. And next up, we, we have the big boys again. Uh, Junior Dos Santos coming off a loss against Stefan Struve, who I don't know who uh, Stefan is. Um, do you have any idea who this kid is? Uh, he's an up-and-comer um, from uh, Holland. He's got a nice record. He's 16-2. and two, So, obviously, uh, you know, no matter what you uh, say about his level of competition that he's faced, um, you know, he deserves to be there and to at least get a shot in the UFC. Um, but he's facing a guy in Junior Dos Santos who is coming off uh, just an absolutely shocking win over Fabricio Verdum at UFC 90. I was I was at the All-State Arena for that show, and I w- my friend and I, we were just flabbergasted um, by what happened. Uh, Dos Santos just absolutely taking him out. Um, so I think this is kind of an unfortunate fight uh, in that one of these two guys has to lose. Um, because I, I just don't get, uh, I, I kind of don't understand the matchmaking here because with the heavyweight division being what it is, but you know, I'll give, I'm not going to question Joe Silva because the man obviously knows what he's doing. Um, but you know, I like Dos Santos here and I hope we get to see this fight because again, um, <laughs> uh, heavyweights that are going to be up and comers are, uh, not easy to come by. Mm-hmm. I have to agree. Um, I think DeSantos is going to probably take him out in the first. Um, just because I, I I get the feeling that Stefan is, you know, he's from Holland, so obviously he's a kickboxer. So, you know, DeSantos is just too well-rounded. You know, I, I think that's what's going to happen. Um, the last dark fight would be Terry Edom against Jimmy Jacobs' long-lost twin brother, Brian Cobb in the uh, 155s. Um, this this should be fun. Um, Edom's mm-hmm. decent. Uh, I don't know much about Brian Cobb, but uh, you know we'll see what happens. I mean, they are the 155s, which is the most exciting you know uh, uh, division in the UFC. So you know, uh, well, what do you think of this one? Uh, Cobb's won nine in a row. That uh, no matter uh, who you're fighting again, just like uh, Struve's record. Uh, if you can win that many fights, nine in a row, that's impressive. Uh, Edom has not had uh, a lot of luck in the UFC. He's 2-2. Two and two. Um, But at the same time, I think this is a fight that he can win. Uh, you know, we saw his, uh, his potential against Matt Grice back at UFC 70, and uh, he's coming off a win over Sam Stout. So 
I, I like uh, I like him for a unanimous decision. Okay. And now we go to the televised uh, televised matches. We have X Cause Josh Koscheck, the most hated man in UFC, against Paulo Thiago, who's ten and zero. Um, this is going to be an interesting fight here. Um, I, I'm not quite sure what what Koscheck has left in his future. Um, it seems that he builds himself up really well, winning fights, and then when he gets to a big one, he loses. I, I don't know, you know, what's going on with him. If it's in his head, I, I don't know. Um, what do you think of this one? Well, you know, I think Josh Koscheck. I mean, he, the only two people, uh, you know, in the last three years. I mean, he lost very early to Drew Fickett, but the only two people he's lost to since then have been George St. Pierre and Tiago Alves, both by decision. Neither of them could finish him, um, and, and that's a testament to how tough this guy is and how good he's getting, and I think it's been a pleasure to watch his progression uh, in, in the UFC. Uh, that being said, when he knocked out Yoshiyuki Yoshida uh, like he did, the, the, the bandwagon really fired up, and, uh, you know, and I, I must admit that I, you know, this is, I want to see this guy fight because I think he can challenge for that title, and I would love to see a rematch uh, between he and either Alves or St. Pierre uh, if he wins, uh, you know, two more fights or so. Uh, I, I think this is going to be a bad night for Paulo Tiago. Um, <laughs> bringing him in on, on a one-fight deal uh, is the word. And, uh, yeah, he's just coming in to uh, get steamrolled, and Koscheck's taking him out, and he's taking him out uh, in the first round. Mm-hmm. And the next one, I think, will uh, will be the sleeper match of the show that could possibly steal the show, Damian Maya against Chael Shonen. Um, I don't know how the hell Shonen has not been in the UFC. Um, I really don't. I mean, the guy has been all over. He's fought well, he was. You know, pretty much anyone <clears throat> early. Yeah. Early. I, he, well, yeah, he was uh, back in 2005-06. Uh, he was one and two and uh, got cut, but uh, since then he's uh, he's been on quite a tear, only losing that one fight to uh, Paulo Filio. Uh, but uh, you know, this is a was guy who. A what? It uh, looked like the, a dance. You know, it looked like. No, no, the stars. first one. The, oh, the first one, not okay. the second. One. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah, he definitely. Yeah. Uh, Paulo. Paulo wasn't uh, trying to find Jesus during the first one, so. Um, so yeah, but I mean, this is just, I, I think this is just a bad style matchup for Chael Son because he's just another, he, he he's a, a talented fighter, but I mean, if this goes to the ground, no matter where, if Son is on top or on the bottom, it doesn't matter because he's going to get submitted. Um, Damian Maia will happily pull guard to, uh, <laughs> you know, to get to the ground and he'll wrap him up. Uh, so fast, they'll make your head spin. Um, you know, that's why, I mean, we saw him uh, fight Ed Herman, and uh, Chael Sonnen, of course, and Ed Herman are teammates. And they're very same, stylistically the same. Sonnen is a better fighter than Ed Herman. Uh, but Damian Maia is just, I mean, he's a wizard. I, I think that's the best way to put it. He's an absolute wizard on the ground. And, uh, you know, it's, it's always... Uh, fun to see what this guy's going to come up with next. Am I the only one that's looking forward to Joe Rogan's commentary during this fight? 
Oh, what, you mean the the, the knob slobbering that's going to occur? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and the, the next fight we have um, Wilson Govea taking on the palest man in the UFC, um, Nate Marquardt. I think Marquardt's just going to run over him. Marquardt's just too damn good. You know, I think this is a great fight, but I, I, I do agree with you. Um, Marquardt is definitely going to beat him. I, I think... Uh, I don't think there's much of a chance for Govea in this one. He's a very good fighter, but, uh, you know, Marquardt has been just so impressive since losing to Anderson Silva. And he he has that loss to Talis Lefez in there, which, you know, what, he should have won, but he was an idiot, so he lost because he got points deducted. Um, so he's, he's been a man on a mission. That, that uh, pistol whipping he put on Martin Campman at UFC 88 was – uh, something else. And I think this is going to be a great fight uh, while it lasts. I think Marquardt takes him out in the second round. And we have Rory Markham in the semi against Dan Hardy. Um, I'm really surprised at the positioning of this. Um, I don't think it should be the semi. Uh, what, what do you think of this one? Uh, you know, I mean, we're going to see the fights anyway. So, I mean, it's not like this fight's being promoted uh, in, in the U.S., so, I mean, I really don't have a problem with it from that standpoint. Um, and, and looking at the card, I mean, the only fight, you know, if, if this were to be the fight you were going to flip, uh, you know, if you wanted to put it on the prelims, the only fight is Junior Dos Santos, and, uh, you know, D- Dan Hardy is going to be uh, something big uh, in the UFC, uh, in the U.K., I, I believe. And so uh, positioning him here against Rory Markham, a tough guy um, who has, you know, you know, a boatload of wins under his belt, many in the IFL, and had that highlight reel knockout over Brody Farber, uh, is only going to stand to uh, up Dan Hardy's name uh, when he eventually comes out on top in this one. Okay. And the main event, um, which is a joke, uh, as far as I'm concerned, this fight should not be taking place at all. Um, Joe Daddy Stevenson, ultimate fighter winner or not, he's done. There's no, unless he moves up to 170, uh, which I think he should, <laughs> because I mean he looks he looks like a sucked up crackhead when he cuts down to 155, you know when he goes back into the cage one 175 180 and I don't know it's a joke. Um, as far as Diego Sanchez, I guess moving down might not hurt him. Why not? What the hell? You know Diego you know has not embarrassed himself. Um, you know I mean Joe Daddy is pretty much a journeyman. You know, at this point, and I, you know, I would, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Stevenson loses if he gets cut. Um, so I'm going to go with Diego Sanchez so that Joe Stevenson gets cut. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen, but uh, you know, I, I was, t- I was saying on my show, I think being injured and not fighting Tiago Alves is going to be the best thing to happen to Diego Sanchez's career because if he would have fought Tiago Alves, Tiago Alves on that night, the way Alves was going he would have got absolutely destroyed. Um, so he has a chance here to move down to 155. Joe Stevenson had a tough 2008. Um, I don't really like the guy as, you know, too much as a fighter. He's not very interesting. Uh, he only wins by guillotine choke, which is my least favorite hold in all of mixed martial arts. Um, and you know, he just got ran over by B.J. Penn and Kenny Florian, uh, two guys who were at the top of their games on that night. So I kind of feel bad for him in that respect. Uh, but at the same time, um, the only chance he has to win this fight is if the weight cut really, really hurts Diego. Um, and I don't, 
think Diego's the type of guy to uh, let that sort of thing happen because uh, knowing this guy and how uh, determined he is, he's not going to let anything um, – he's not going to do something the wrong way, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. Um, and so Joe Stevenson uh, is probably in for a world of hurt. And I, I don't know if he gets stopped um, because Joe Stevenson doesn't really uh, you know, get stopped with punches all that much. And I don't see Diego submitting them. Um, but I think Diego is going to lay on a, a big 30-27 uh, across the scorecards in this one. Okay. You know, the only thing that's good about Joe Stevenson is his smoking hot wife. But on, <laughs> on that note, um, we need to wrap up. Um, you do have your own radio show. Please plug away, Matt. All right. Matt Bishop and Neil Wagner, we host Lights Out Radio at lightsoutradio.com. We cover the latest in mixed martial arts on pretty much a weekly basis. We've just started going live, of course, here on Blog Talk Radio. So check out lightsoutradio.com, and uh, we have the show uh, scheduled up there a few days up before uh, we do a live show. And uh, we have a podcast feed on iTunes, uh, so just search for Lights Out Radio right there. And check out our Facebook page. Also search for Lights Out Radio. Awesome. Well, Matt, thanks for coming on, and uh, thank you for joining the team. Uh, just to let you know that when I do the introductions on the beginning of the show, I am going to put Lights Out Radio as part of the sponsors. Um, since, since you are uh, contributing to the show, that way you get some hits that way. Um, once again, thanks for coming on, brother. It was fun. Hey, my pleasure. Awesome, awesome. We will be talking to you very soon. I'll be in contact, and uh, we'll go from there. Look forward to it. Awesome. Thank you. You bet. Okay, that was uh, <clears throat> that was Matt, our in-house MMA expert. Wow, another another wacky show. Oh, man, enough. Whew, I'm blown up. Check out the sponsors, WrestleWarehouse.com and SlamBamJam.com. Uh, there are a bunch of sh- indie shows all over this country of ours. Support your local indies and also support angrymarks.com. Uh, next week will be our 100th show, our final Thursday night episode. In the first hour, we will have. He was voted by the message board but turned down for the award by some bullshit committee at uncensored, uh, SoCalUncensored.com. They're. Voted in Rookie of the Year, Johnny Yuma will be in the first hour, and in the second hour will be New Japan Pro Wrestling's The Machine Gun Carl Anderson, and I will talk to you fuckers next week.